Falsely accused, wrongly imprisoned. He fought for justice to clear his father's name. I'm Andrew. And I'm Darren. And you're listening to... The Andrew and Darren Film Podcast Show. That's right. We may revise that at some point in the near future. We may, we may. Um, if if any of our uh, listeners, or if there are any listeners, and if any of our listeners have any suggestions of new names for the podcast, go ahead. We're yeah. impressionable. It's like a, like a Hillary Clinton Venn diagram we just constructed there, you know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, um, if you're out there, if you're not out there. Um, if you have ideas. If you don't have ideas and just want to say hello. Exactly. All right. So, Andrew, what did we watch this week? We watched In the Name of the Father. Yes. Yes. Jim Sheridan's uh, film about the Guilford Four. Yeah, the the the, the spiritual sequel to uh, Get Rich or Die Trying. Yeah, the classic Prequel. Jim, the classic Jim Sheridan film, in which I think Donald Clark rather wryly noted that Fifty Cent was miscast as himself. <laughs> we will never be as witty as Donald Clark, but we're not going to stop trying. We could we could just edit out the part where we say where we actually Donald credit Clark's him, yeah. yeah, and just sort of steal credit for the gag. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, uh, we had both seen this before, I think. Yes, yeah, yeah, this, this, this is a movie I'd seen before. This is also a movie that I feel like had kind of, um, parts of it had mixed up in my head with other <laughs> movies, um, uh, in the same sort of genre. Or milieu, the, or yeah. Yeah, the, the likes of, um, what's it called, Any Mother's Son? Oh my god, yes. Yes. Yeah. Which is actually it feels like it should be a spiritual sequel to In the Name of the Father. Like you you yeah. just you just need like um what else would you need? You'd need like Kingdom of the Sun or something Empire of the Sun to round out the trilogy, you know? Perhaps, perhaps. Yeah, there there's and, and, and there's a lot of the sort of um tropes that you get in a lot of these movies, like the the well, shower scene when they're being loud. Yeah. Well, we well, should we should probably we, actually talk about the movie and introduce it first, rather than jumping on it. Probably, um, yes. Yeah. Basically, um, in the name of the Father, myself and Andrew are both Irish. Uh, this is an Irish film podcast, so we're operating from the assumption that we both would be intimately familiar uh, with the film, what it's about, its content, its director, and stuff like that. In that, I'm pretty sure to get an Irish passport, you have to have seen it at least once. I believe so. You yeah, get a pass I've, I've, if you watch my left. Yeah, foot. I recently had a renewal, and they don't request it for the renewal. No, but all you have to watch Michael Collins for that. Yes. Right. Um, although hopefully soon you'll just have to watch once. But yeah, I, like um, my my Michael Collins is a decent Julia Roberts movie. Like it's not the worst one of the bunch. Of the bunch, it no. does have a downer ending though. They don't get together. I, no, no, it's true. And there's a minimum amount of shopping montages. I have to say, this this there the I mean just the one I think there really is, and that, that was added in post production when they said they needed a scene to get from the point where. Um, you know, just the whole civil war thing. By the way, this wasn't Michael Collins. This was not Michael Collins we were watching at all. Um, but yes, we would both be very uh, familiar with this film. Um, for anybody who's not familiar, because I'm not sure how popular it is in the States, it's obviously popular enough to get on the IMDb 250. Yeah. Um, but it's basically it's the story of the Guildford Four, which was a pub bombing in London in 1974. Yeah, I'm always... Um, was, was it Guildford, Surrey? I don't know. Let us go to the fact machine and check that out. Yeah. And we're back from the fact machine. And it turns out that, yes, Andrew was correct. The uh, Guildford bombings took place in Guildford, Surrey, in London, which I believe you were there. Oh, yeah. I was was there last October on a um, work trip. What is happening with our levels? 
I mean, not not that we need to 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 tell listeners to um, that we are tweet, having sound tweet in and tell us what the sound is like. I'm yeah. sure there will probably be people who do that anyway. But we appreciate it. Uh, this is not a live podcast. No, 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 it's not. Um, but so you are in Guildford in Surrey, Andrew. Yes, yeah, lovely little town. Cool. Um, You're saying it was quite because we were watching it, right? And um, during the course of the film, early in the film. Uh, the people who will be accused, um, so Jared Conlon um, and his friend Paul, are actually in London. And I think you were yes, disputing the I, geography of it already. Yeah, yeah. There, there, um, there, there was, um, I, think, I think it was for the sake of a movie. They made it so that Guildford was in London, which, is, which of course is not. I suppose a lot of people who work in London live in Guildford, perhaps... Well, anyway, yes, this was a movie about um, the Guildford Four, who some of you will be uh, familiar with, some of you will, will be not. Some um, of you will know them from real life, some of them will know you from this movie. Yes, um, these were four people who were, um, not to spoil anything, I don't think. Here's the question, how do spoilers work with true stories? Um, that's a good question. A, 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 a friend of mine was working as an extra on The Tudors, <laughs> and um, one of their friends asked them, um, so, like, do you, do you get to find out what's happening? Do you see all the spoilers and that before it comes out? And it's like, well, it's a history. It is a historical drama. So. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of see where this is going. Yeah. The solution is democracy. Yes. yes that's how it wraps up. So. Um, they are accused of the bombing. These four um, Irish expats. I think there are three of them are Irish expats and one of them is. Yes. Um, English. Yes, there's their um, their names are or Jerry. There's Saddest Moon. Um, also known as Paul. I believe he's to his Saddest family. Moon. Saddest Moon. All right. Um, we'll yeah. explain that later on. <laughs> yes. The police do not recognize him as Saddest Moon. No, they do not. Yeah, yeah. They 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 for some reason call him by his original name. Um, yes. So. That's with, without any spoilers. Um, they're accused of bombing. They're interrogated. Yes. They sign confessions and, this, and they're sentenced to prison. This is basically their story. Um, uh, specifically, it's the story of... Um, Jared Conlon. Jared Conlon and his father, Giuseppe Conlon. Um, their relationship together. Giuseppe is also, of course, um, accused... He's accused um, of, of providing aid. Yeah, yes. He's providing aid that assisted in the bombing. Yeah, they end up um, uh, both convicted, and this is their, and sharing a cell. Their sh- sh- shared cell, and this is their shared story. That's a nice segue. Yes. So this is the section where we're going to talk to it without podcast. Thank you. Without, by the way, you know, I, 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 I really have been working on my segue. I know it's nice. Um, just you know, it's it's forward to go fast and back to go slow, right? Oh. Oh, oh! You meant the other thing. I, I, I didn't think you meant that sort of segue. I, I've, I've been working on, I've been working on the transitions between. Oh dear. This is awkward. This is awkward. But anyway, probably awkward. Probably awkward. <laughs> it's a film podcast where we talk about the English language. Um, this is much less intense than the discussions that take place over the English language in the film, where yeah. like Jared Conley's like. I don't understand the English Conlon. language. Jack Conlon, apologies. Yes. Um, fact check there. Thank you very much, Andrew. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's like, uh, I don't understand the English language. Compassion, justice, what are these words? Whereas myself and Andrew just bicker over the word segue. 
segue. Yes. But before we get into the spoilers, because we're going to talk about those before in a moment, we get into the spoilers, this is the part of the podcast where we want to convince you whether you should or should not watch this film if you haven't already. Yeah. So you can I go mean, in and see it without us ruining it for you. Like, why? Why might you like the movie? Why might you not like the movie? Yeah. Um, first thing to say is a lot of Irish people probably have already seen this movie. So is this movie worth um, a rewatch? I thought it was. I think it is. I think yeah. it's. Um, it's a Jim Sheridan film, um, yes. who's a director who has his own very strong stylistic sensibilities. Yeah, um, th- this is this is when um, Jim Sheridan was uh, probably at his best. Like, yeah, well, this would have been around the time of My Left Foot and stuff. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, so this is sort of before. I think some of his contemporary stuff can seem a bit schmaltzy. Mm. Um, and let, let's face it, nobody's going to like look at his career and go, "Get Richard Die, die Trying" was the pinnacle. No, um, of Jim I, I mean that's a bit, that's a bit of a punchline, but but it it, 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 it it like you can't judge a person too harshly for that. Sort no, of thing. and you can't when they produce this and they produce my left foot, exactly, and even stuff like in America, which I think some people found schmaltzy, I quite liked. Yeah, like the thing the thing about this movie is there is a lot of kind of familiar movie stuff that um, in some movies um, can feel. Um, Overly sentimental, schmaltzy, yes, exactly. manipulative. Or, yeah, or kind of, um, I hate to use the word, but in fact I won't. I'll use another word. I won't even tell are you we, Are we going to guess word. what the word is? <laughs> <laughs> Today's theme is words. Yeah, yeah, tweet in. <laughs> what was the word Andrew was going to use? Yeah, no, it, um, like, it's it's familiar in a kind of a nice way. There, yeah. there's, there, there's a lot of the um, kind of techniques and touch points that you see in these kind of um, and I mean, Sheridan as a filmmaker, like he has things that he likes to do. And I think that in the name of the father works better in some ways than it does in others. So on one level, and this is the level that we're probably we're going to talk about quite a bit, is that it, it's a political sort of statement film. Yes. It's very definitely a film about the troubles and about Ireland that, and England and about... That was that was when, when, when we found we'd be doing this movie. That was one thing that... That made me maybe think maybe I wouldn't enjoy it so much um, because we live on on this island um, where um, I guess exposed a lot already to these sorts of issues and sometimes um, when there's when there's a movie and uh, because yeah. it's for a broader audience um, there can be sort of kind of simplifications yeah. or um, demonizations of certain. Well, that, that's it exactly. It's, it's exactly. But when when I watched this movie, I thought it was it was fairly okay. well done, somewhat even handed in parts, and also um, obviously there there were uh, villains to this movie, and they were cartoon villains, villains very much, very much. Um, but no. there, there, were, there was also there was also a certain amount of balance that I kind of hadn't remembered. I do not think the political aspect of the film aged particularly well I don't think it, no I think that I thought the villains were very cartoonish at points yes um, like there's a bit where they're being interrogated and Phil Davis shows up who's like the angry short guy from every BBC production ever and he's like where'd you make the bomb paddy yeah yeah, um, yeah. And, and and they they have all sorts of evil British people in yeah. this movie I'm surprised they, Charles Dance wasn't in it like I was I was sitting there he, watching my evil British checklist he would have been he would have been good maybe um yeah, as as one of the prisoners, um, as one of the uh, wardens. 
he, yeah, he he possibly he possibly could have could have given a um, like a posh performance as one of the uh, prosecuting barristers. Yeah, like the, not not that the, the the prosecuting barristers were bad; they were quite good. The first one um, was very British, and the second one was Tom Wilkinson. Yes, um, who uh, well, most viewers will know from the Full Monty. You will indeed, um, yeah. And Michael Clayton he was very good in that. But I found the political stuff maybe a little bit heavy-handed and awkward. Um, mm. And it came from that stage in the 90s where um, Irish films were kind of obliged to paint British people as maybe a little bit short of Nazis. Yeah. The, um, like Michael Collins is, is another example. Exactly. That, that's, that's what I meant when, when, when we saw the trailer. The trailer really got that across very well, yeah. that, that it was a... British people as Nazis movie, yeah. which which which, which 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 is um, <laughs> insensitive to a number of people. Yes, on um, a number of levels. Yeah, yeah, it's it's insensitive to. Um, uh, we're gonna yeah, we're gonna sort of we're probably gonna end up tiptoeing around this a lot more than we, we tiptoed are. around yeah, yeah. Uh, prisoners Con- when we talked about prisoners. Like our first two movies, <laughs> like <laughs> child abduction and murder child and the troubles. And murder and the troubles. And, and, um, I really hope we get like a comedy next week or something or a Holocaust drama just to even it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Schindler's List movie. Yeah, I'm sure we'd have a great time with that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find out later on what next movie's, uh, next movie's week is going to be <laughs> next week's movie. But no, I, I, I thought that aspect was... Next week is next movie week. Yes, every week is next movie week. <laughs> I thought that aspect of it was not great, but I thought one of the things Jim Sheridan does really well is he does this idea of family and he does this idea of communion. And on many levels, like as much as In the Name of the Father is a political statement and a prison movie, it's yes. really a movie about a, a guy who ends up spending a lot of time with his father. Yes. Um, and it happens throughout the film. There are lots of these lovely little interpersonal family moments that Sheridan does really well. Like, so for example, when Jerry is leaving Belfast. Hold, to... hold on a second. Are, are, are we about to enter the... the spoiler section? Spoiler section. The spoiler zone, if you will. You Good point. Okay, well, we'll, we'll come back to it later. <laughs> Would you recommend watching this movie, Andrew? I would recommend watching this movie. I I, I think, um, as Darren says, and and I would agree, um, and uh, that a lot of the political stuff is a little heavy-handed, but that but that the, this movie works on a, on on a number of levels. Plus, it's an important story to be told. It is. It is a very it, important. story. It is a very important story to be told. As as um, as light as, as as we make of it. Yeah, and as as irreverent as we can be. This this, this was a serious miscarriage of justice. It and cost four people fifteen years of their lives. Exactly. Um, oh, it actually cost more than fourteen. Four people. Yeah, yeah. Um, there were there were seven seven other people who who lost like four years, five years, yeah. twelve years. Uh, the man it, died. Yeah, it was a, it was an astonishing miscarriage of justice. And if we do make light, I sincerely apologise. Um, but it is it is something that we treat with the utmost gravity uh, and respect. And I think Sheridan does as well, to his credit. He he does indeed. But this is also um, this is also a, a funny movie. Um, it is. Well, it's a, it's Jim Sheridan. It yeah, he's 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 able to kind of put in those little touches of light as well. Yeah. Um, and I think what kills something is reverence. Yes. to be honest. All right, so we both. So I would recommend it. I think I would as well. Great. And I think then we are ready to enter the spoiler zone. I'm not sure if we're going to do the thing where we sing spoiler zone again this I week. I think we should not do that. Again. Not do that again. All right. I'm, I'm I'm hoping that last week's one probably doesn't have 
that far. I what? feel like we can get away with, what, like 10 seconds of Kenny Loggins for satirical purposes. Okay, I think we can. So with that point, we're going to say welcome to the Spoiler Zone. Spoiler Zone. Um, okay, so let's talk about the movie uh, yeah. with spoilers. It was, uh, it was based on, well, this isn't a spoiler, but it was based on Proved Innocent by yes. Barry Conlon. Uh, the main character in the movie. Yeah. Uh, some very good people in it. Phenomenal people in it. Yeah. Phenomenal performances. Um, the one who's on the poster and the one who gets most of the attention is Daniel Day-Lewis. Of course. Um, um, there's also Pete Postlewaite. Who is Am amazing. Right? Pete Postlewaite. I, don't, I say Postlewaite. 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 Who was phenomenal. Phenomenal actor. Massively underrated. No, fantastic. Is um, he still with us? No, he's not. He passed away. Oh. That's why shortly after, I think Inception was one of his last films. And I remember watching Inception and being like, I didn't know he was going to be in this film. And uh, Oh, he's fantastic in that film. Yeah. I, I don't remember there being um, much of a big deal made, made, oh, okay. made, made of his passing. Presumably it was covered on the BBC News and that sort of thing. I would have thought so. Well, that, that's where I would have heard it from. Now, I don't know if that's because I would have been more in tune with, with the, the movie news or the sort of Probably, thing. Probably, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Postlewaite, fantastic. And I mean, like, he's a phenomenal actor. Uh, this is a phenomenal role. But when I think of Pete Postlewaite, and I feel really, like, I don't, I don't want to belittle his contribution to cinema, but what I think of when I think of him is the fact that he managed to give, he managed to elevate uh, The Lost World, which was the Jurassic Park sequel, uh, which was not, not a clean film, not a, not a particularly brilliant film in its own right. That, but I remember, that was my first encounter with him as a kid. That's what people have been saying to me when I've been saying, oh, I'm doing In the Name of the Father. And they're like, oh, yeah, Pete Bossaway. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's, um, he's in Brass Off. And they were like, and Lost World. I was like, was that that Jurassic <laughs> Park sequel? But he's, he's phenomenal in it. He really is. Um, and he sort of, and it's, you can tell the movie sort of lags until he arrives and it lags after he leaves. That might be one of those movies that falls in between... <laughs> worst <laughs> movies and best movies yeah I don't think it's quite we're, I don't think we'll be covering Lost World so. on this podcast no. um, alas more is the pity yeah, yeah. we could do a we could do a supplement uh, maybe we could do we... a meh movie section yeah I thought this movie was just okay Mooney's meh movies oh I like it yeah patent pending alright is there a patent pending or is that just something you're saying? <laughs> that's just something I'm saying Andrew damn it <laughs> get to your local copyright office the, yeah, the, the the movie the movie starts with the bombing. This is before the opening credits. Um, but then it jumps back. Yes, um, it's, 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 it jumps then to Emma Thompson. Um, well, actually, let's let's talk about this, right? So Emma Thompson is normally the third lead of the film, right? Yeah. Now, watching the film, right, mm. I get the sense that Emma Thompson's character exists primarily so there can be a good British person in the movie. That's actually um, quite a good point. And I feel like when I'm watching the film, because it, it, she's you see her before you see um, Daniel Day-Lewis, before you see Pete Postlewaite. Yeah. You hear Daniel Day-Lewis's voice because she's playing the tape recordings that he's making, mm. explaining his history. And he doesn't trust her. And, and the reason given is, is... Because she's English and a yeah, lawyer. and a lawyer. Uh, which is a terrible combination of things, apparently. Um, and, yeah, the, the, that was... 
that was an important thing to do, which was like it sh- it shouldn't have been so necessary, maybe. And I think <laughs> it was a little. I think it was a little transparent. Uh, as a little well. transparent. There, there was there was also the point at which we realised that the IRA are actually um, a bad bunch of fellas. <laughs> yes, there was also that <laughs> awkward moment later on, but yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. get to that in a moment. Uh, the IRA might not be nice people. Yeah. Uh, but Emma Thompson's introduced, and here's the thing: right, she floats around the film for the first hour and 20 minutes, roughly. And it's a two-hour film, two-hour and eight-minute film. So during the first hour and 20 minutes, the movie keeps cutting back to Emma Thompson doing, like, lawyer stuff. So, for example, she's driving in a car. She's going to a park to check his alibi. She's researching papers. But she doesn't really have any dialogue. She doesn't really have any character development until she actually arrives in the narrative as it's unfolding about an hour and 20 minutes in. Yes. And it feels like she's inserted awkwardly into the script... So that the film can say, look, Emma Thompson is here. And some of the epilapses and kind of um, uh, cuts back and forward are done sort of awkwardly. They are. They are. There was one that you noticed in particular where it was, oh, it was a, there were, the father and son were having a conversation in the jail cell. And yeah. Jerry had just said to his father, Giuseppe, oh, don't worry, I'll take care of ma'am when you're gone. And Giuseppe looked at him dead serious, like cutting father eyes yeah, and said, I, you can't even take care of yourself. I thought this was going to be a thing where either he would react in in an upset way or... or have or a revelation. Have, uh, yeah, or there'd be maybe even joshing. Reconciliation. But, yeah, but he just says, you can't even look after yourself. And then it just cuts. Just cuts. Hard cut to Emma Thompson arriving at the uh, police, the headquarters, police headquarters to demand more evidence. Yes. Uh, and it is a very awkward transition. And then there's some cutbacks um, to... Uh, uh, Jeremy McSorley's character and also the the chief inspector whose name is Mr. Dixon or Chief Inspector Dixon. Dixon yeah. um, He's a bit of a dick. He is a bit. Well, <laughs> um, this is one of the things we, we noticed while we were watching because uh, we were talking about like Sheridan being a great director of little family moments and stuff like that. Mm. So, for example, when Jerry leaves Belfast to go to England, there's a nice shot of his, his grandmother handing him a fiver quietly yes uh, which yes. is something that you know irish mammies always do or the bit where he's doing vic's vapor vapor rub on his father which is such a mundane uh, wonderful moment that that is, that is quite and a nice scene there's also the moment we noticed in court when the verdict comes in as guilty and there's jim sheridan he doesn't focus on the the crowd he doesn't focus on the judge he doesn't focus on the guards he focuses on chief inspector dixon sitting in the front row making eyes across the room at a woman we later find out is his wife. We have no context up until that point. No. And she's smiling back and winking at him, and they're sort of just short of giving two thumbs up to each other across the she, courtroom. She, she holds out her hand as if to say five, but I guess she's saying Hi. high five. Yeah, you did it. Yes. Um, and it's such a wonderfully weird moment, and I don't think you'd see it in another film like this. Yes. But it underscores kind of Sheridan's interest in like family dynamics and in sort of smaller personal moments. Yeah, I think so. I uh, I've, 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 I feel like that's his kind of stamp on it. Yeah. Because yeah, they, um, so there's this stuff then in Belfast, um, and this is, I mean, we we weren't. We weren't. We're we're not old enough, really, to remember it. To to remember it. Plus, we we never lived in Belfast. All of these movies kind of um, portray um, the troubles in a sort of a similar way. It's, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's like um, uh, it 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 basically looks like um, Beirut or um, not Beirut. No. Beirut with <laughs> leather jackets. Yeah, um, exactly. And questionable hairstyles. Well. 
That's that's sort of interesting because yeah, we we're both from the Republic of Ireland. Uh, yes. We were both born in the late eighties, so we were over a decade removed from the events of the film in question. Yeah, uh, we've both been to Belfast, but Belfast has obviously changed dramatically in the years since. I think the troubles are interesting, um, and it's probably interesting. This, this is set in nineteen seventy four. This is set in nineteen seventy four. Yeah, give some context. But I think the troubles are interesting from a cultural perspective for us um, because of the kind of thing that we've only experienced through film and television. Yeah. So like, I oddly enough, I feel like I. Yeah, I, I feel like even if we had been there at the time, like in 1974, our experience of it would still be through um, newspapers and television broadcasts, yes. which of, of, of course are, 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 are probably going to put across the same kind sort of, of images. Apocalyptic, sort yeah. of like city on the verge of collapse, yeah. at war with itself sort of thing. Um, and I mean, it, it's like, it's a great, and again, it's, it's one of those great Jim Sheridan touches. Like the movie opens with uh, Conlon stealing lead. Yes, um, and he's playing he's playing air guitar on a broomstick, and then and then all of a sudden the uh, British officers think that he's a, a sniper, sniper who's playing air guitar on a sniper rifle. Yeah, it's the fan. Yeah, and suddenly it's Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, um, and then there's basically a big chase sequence, and it's very much it's very much exactly like it's one of those stereotypical depictions of Northern Ireland where it's nothing yeah. but terraced houses and gardens and small alleyways and a sequence where there's, he. This, yeah, yeah the, this this running through houses sequence happens in so many movies. Like it happened in '71 last year, for example, which yeah. is a, which is another movie set in the troubles. It's actually it's phenomenal. I wholeheartedly I mean, recommend even, you see even it. Even things like I think Billy Elliot has one of those as well. Okay. Well, that's a very that's not real. No, 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 no. It's 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 not it's not the same sort of a movie. No. Oh, well, I mean, um, it's, it's quite <laughs> a different movie, but you will recognize this kind of like. This is a depiction of urban life, exactly. suburban life yeah, in yeah. in the UK and well in the island, the islands basically. Yeah. Um, for politically correct terminology, we refer to them as the British Isles. If we're talking about a common cultural geographically, geographically. Yes. All right. um, although a lot of people will take um, issue, that. issue with that and understand. You know what? Call it what you like. Yes, the islands that consist of Britain and Ireland. Yes. Um, it's it's sort of a nice cultural marker there, uh, but yeah, no, and the. So Daniel Day-Lewis is in the film, uh, and he gives Daniel a Day-Lewis phenomenal, phenomenal performance. Yeah. And um, it, like the the he has a lot of. Um, I feel like the the character is a very um, emotional character. It's a very human character, which I liked yeah. about him. He's not a saint. Like if you, as you said, oh, yeah. we were talking about this. If you were doing a movie like this, it was best not to. Uh, not to turn it into a... What, how would you describe it? Um, as basically as a iconic British sort of... No, but as a, Okay. Uh, that, it's also not a good idea to turn it into that. But it's also not to be over-reverent towards it. No. To, no, turn, no. Um, to turn him into a saint for the purpose yeah, of... Yeah, exactly. Our, our, our complete martyr. Yeah. Um, no. No. I he, think the film's very frank. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a thief. Um, he steals from, from a, a prostitute. Um, he uh, eats meat. <laughs> he has, he has apparently pig. Um, yes, he he goes at one stage when he goes over to. So basically, he's stealing lead. And he causes the British army to sweep through Belfast, which causes all sorts of headaches for the local IRA. IRA um, are none too pleased. Although they are, I did like that they were very sort of disciplined with the whole kneecapping thing. They're like, look, take off your pants because if you don't, you'll get cotton in the wound, and it'll just it'll mess you up badly. Yeah. So they're like, now it wouldn't have been a problem if you had been wearing silk. Yeah, that would have that would have worked a lot better. Yeah, uh, 
But for the purposes of kneecapping, it will work a lot better if you take down your pants. Which was nice of them. Yeah, very this thoughtful. Was, this, this was kind of um, the part of the movie where they're depicting the human side of the IRA. Yeah. Um, and it is. It starts off reasonably sympathetic almost. Which is quite surprising given that it, it has a bombing where they kill four yeah, four that's the, the first, very first thing we see is 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 this bomb going off, and uh, and and it's also made clear later on that that there was no uh, warning. warning. Yeah, yeah, there was no warning given either, um, and that there were innocent people killed. But yeah. I, I mean, um, but yeah, so um, the sequence, and then while they're about to do that, they're about to kneecap him. His father runs down, and this is the first time that you see Giuseppe sort of interact. Yes, with uh, Giuseppe's a bookmaker. He is. Uh, I don't even think he's a clerk. I don't think he even runs the shop. I think he just manages the... Because so. um, his father, his, his son is not very not very proud of him. No. Uh, and they have a strained relationship. But his father basically says, look, IRA guys, this my son, he's a good kid. Could you please not kneecap him? Mm. And the IRA sort of take a look at them and they go, oh... oh we were only joking. Anyway. Yeah, we were, that's it. We were only joking anyway. But it's the last warning as well, yeah. which is uh, a very odd scene tonally. Yeah, it's it's like uh, we, we're only having a laugh, and we find out later on that when they say this is your last warning, they actually they weren't just... messing around. No, because no. his partner who doesn't leave Belfast yeah. is found like, shot the next dead time in the marshland. We see him; he's, he's he has been... been kneecapped, and then the next we hear of him, he's been murdered. Yeah, uh, and it's a very jarring sort of tonal thing in the yeah. film itself because it's presented as like a carefree. Um, it's presented as a carefree sort of life in Belfast, almost. Um, well. <laughs> okay. Given that it has the army sweeping through, the- I mean, yeah, they 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 kind of shift around from from seriousness to um, slice uh, of life, sort of exactly. Stuff, yeah. Which which I actually appreciate. I I, I feel like um, if it had been entirely one way or the other. It would have been weird. Yeah, so if it had been oppressively grim, it would have been heavy-handed. Yeah, or or if it had portrayed it as, like, um, this uh, fantastic, like, working-class haven where where they're all together. Yeah, and sort of, you know, the solidity and community and stuff like that. Yeah. Then, I know, so I I can understand. The the tonal shift was a bit jarring for me, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so he ends up on the boat. Um, yeah. He's put over he, to the UK. He meets uh, Saddest Moon. Um, which Paul, is his Paul, best friend from school. Yeah, Paul Hill. Um, yeah. Paul Hill isn't Saddest Moon at this point. No, he will be shortly, though, because when, the, when they land in the UK, they end up meeting a bunch of hippies. Yeah, they, they, they're, they, um, they go to this uh, hippie commune where one of their friends from Belfast has invited them. To Played by Mark Shepard. And it's great. The casting in this is great because you, you have a lot of people... Well, okay, there are two schools of people that you recognize. There are the people that I recognize who are like, hey, it's Tom Wilkinson, or hey, it's Mark Shepard, or hey, it's, you know, it's these people who went on to great things from smaller roles. And then every once in a while, Andrew would nudge me and go, that's a person from Fair City. Uh, for this, any... this movie, as soon as, as soon as we get to um, the jail, which is coming up, um, <laughs> Spoiler. the movie is lousy with Fair City actors. Yeah. You just can't you can't see for one of them. Yeah, you can't throw a stone without hitting a Fair City actor or some it's, description. It's true. The, 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 uh, I think the prison scene um, was filmed in Kilmainham. Yeah. Um, do, we, do we want to uh, consult the fact machine? And we're back from the fact machine, confirming that, yes, in fact, the movie was shot at Kilmainham Goal. Or Goal. How do you pronounce that? It's just Kilmainham Jail, spelled weird. 
I, I, or maybe I, in Irish. I, I, no, no. I, I, I think, I think jail um, is one of those words that has become Americanized, as far, okay. as, far as I'm aware. I'm pretty sure it's not a silent G. Um, to the fact machine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're back, back from, from the, the fact, fact machine. machine. <laughs> it turns out Andrew was correct. It is in fact a remand center that exists in Australia, Canada, New Zealand, Republic of Ireland of the UK. So yes. Jail is very much an Americanism. Yes, and and was and is it pronounced with a J? I thought that's <laughs> why we were uh, pronounced like a J. Is that not no. why we went to the fact machine? We'll mark this as a pass and come back to it next week. Can we go back to the fact machine? <laughs> and we're back from the fact machine. And we have a computer algorithm here that's pronouncing the word G A O L, and it sounds like J. Thank you very much. Um, so yes, Andrew was correct on that one. Apologies. Uh, so it takes place in Kilmainham Jail. Um, it's shot there uh, in the wonderful Panopticon. Um, it's actually a. I feel like we're not like if you're if you're American or even if you're English listening to this podcast, you're getting a whole host of Irish references that you have no frame of uh, reference for understanding. It's like Fair City is an Irish soap opera. Just in Fair case City anyone is knows. an Irish soap opera. It's my, a, my 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 father once um, got got into into watching that for a number of weeks. Oh, yeah. I I, I feel like most people will see. Fair City. We'll see four of, episodes of Fair City yeah, in their lives. Yeah, average from, from, and, and from kind of wandering in and out. Yeah. From seeing people watching Fair City, they'll have some kind of... Um, Experience. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. So it's, it's our equivalent of, say, EastEnders or Coronation Street, which is the uh, British equivalent of The Young and the Restless um, or General Hospital. We have a sponsor on the Fair City podcast. It's uh, <laughs> Fair City this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> brought to you by Fair City. Yes. Um, and then Kilmainham Goal is um, obviously a hugely important site uh, for Irish history. It is a site where, as Andrew pointed out, staring at the screen, that's where James Connolly was shot. I believe so, yeah. Um, so it is. It's, it was a prison while the British were in Ireland, and it's now a tourist site. Um, I've gotten the tour. I believe you have as well. Yeah, I think so. Dude, we're, we're probably there at the same time. I feel, I feel... On the tour, right? Yeah. Okay. Was cool. this a school tour? This may have been a school tour. This may have been. May have been right tour. before they showed us in the name of the father. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. This is you're getting a lot of rich Irish cultural history today. Before before we uh, got our first passport. Yes. Yeah. Um, so basically, after the bombing takes place, um, a disgruntled member of the hippie commune, and this is great, a disgruntled member of the hippie commune goes to the police and says, "Look." I don't like these two Irish people. They they have every kind of English person you don't like. Yeah, <laughs> like there's not only, there's not only like corrupt cops and sort there's, of dodgy yeah. solicitors and dodgy barristers. There's the kind of posh hippie. Who, yeah, who like, somehow misses the point of like hippies being accepting and yeah, open minded. He's living in this hippie commune and he's like he's really I don't stuck like off these people. Yeah, he's really stuck off. Was it after the bomb goes off? He like he refers to them as paddies, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although to be fair, they are holding a pack of chips at the po- at the time, just in case you're looking for Irish stereotypes in the film. Yeah, um, potatoes. Potato. Potato man. Where the bloody hell have you been? <laughs> oh, in case we're uh, we're talking about Irish stereotypes, the film has a theme song from Bono. Yes, yeah, that, uh, that, that's that's like right right after the bomb takes place Uh, you have the credits in black and white very classy and over it you have uh, Bono singing 
But yes, and it's very, it's strange to have a historically true or true to life historical picture that has a theme song from one of the members of U2. Yeah, the, 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 the trailer had um, in, in the, the Name, name of, of Love, love. Yeah. which was a nice segue, you know, in the name of justice, <laughs> in the name of truth, in the name of love. And he, even at the end, there's a nice title drop as well, where sort of Daniel Day-Lewis, it's the last lines of the film, where he's like, you know, I'm going to campaign for justice in the name of the Father. <laughs> and you're just like, you can tell that when they're sitting there in the ending bay, they're like, can we use that? I don't know, it's the last scene of the film. We can probably use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so basically they go to the hippie commune, uh, bomb goes off, and one of the hippies, who is a posh, upper-crust hippie, who doesn't like these dirty, filthy Irish hippies... Well, I, I think first uh, we have Jer going back to Ireland... Yes, well, they... it's, it's, it's that fantastic scene where they, play, where they play the kinks. Yeah, well, this is, yeah, so he, on the night in question when the bombing takes place, he encounters yeah. a homeless man in, what park is it? Well, they they kind of go backward and forward, but they uh, when, when, it's, when it's up to Emma Thompson's character to, to see if she can find this bench, um, it's Regent's Park. It's Regent's Park, okay. Yeah. So they, they're in Regent Park. They bump into a homeless man. Um, he gives him some money. Um, and basically, they then wander through the streets and they happen to find a prostitute. Charlie Burke. No, yeah, Charlie, Charlie Burke's not the prostitute. <laughs> no, Charlie Burke is not the prostitute. He's a nice man who scrawled his initials on a bench. Yeah, this um, uh, prostitute is walking away. Um, and she drops, and her, she purse. drops her purse. Yeah. Um, and Daniel Day-Lewis, being the nice gentleman that he is, tries to draw attention to the fact that she dropped her purse. Uh, but it turns out that her driver is having none of it. Yeah, he says, leave her alone. Oh, I... She's out of your league, Paddy. <laughs> There's a lot of lot of latent Irish racism in this Dance, film. Irish man. <laughs> yeah. um, they're always after your lucky charms. Um, so Daniel Day-Lewis takes her purse and her keys and goes into her home. Um, and again, this is one of the things I like, is that it doesn't glamorize Conlon. Like, it portrays Conlon as a character who has made mistakes... Mm. Uh, who is not he's necessarily a lovable he's, rogue. he's a lovable rogue but he's not entirely like you can see why he would get into the situation they got into and why he would have the difficult yeah, relationship with leave, his family leave uh, Belfast because he was of, stealing lead yeah and because the IRA were threatening him yeah because he was stealing lead comes um, back to Belfast yeah so after that he, he goes into her house he finds 700 pounds which is like what 1 million 1.4 million pound euro in today's money roughly <laughs> um <laughs> And he goes, and this is again, this is another example of Jim Sheridan's sort of wonderful kind of slice of life stuff, right? Because he steals 700 pounds, he gets dressed like a pimp. Yes. And he travels back to Belfast. Yes. And he proceeds to visit the family home while wearing a giant full or fur coat and spectacles. There's a lot of that. Have, have, have you seen any f- uh, photos of your parents during those days? Everybody had a fur coat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fur, fur, fur coats, sheepskins, flares. Fur uh, was not yet murder. Platforms, no. Yes, and he has a nice set of platform shoes as well. Yeah. And he sort of dances down the street. And in the platform chil- spats. Yeah, That's, which is great. The only way to make platforms and spats more classy is to combine them. Yes. Um, and he runs down the street and the kids sort of chase him as if wanting to touch the fur coat. Do you see him here? <laughs> yeah. Um, and he goes home and he, yeah, he throws money around to his family. Which, by the way, if there's been a bombing in England and you're returning home to Belfast, is probably not the best approach to take to walk down the street oh, carrying and, like and, some and, money. And, and he, he, um, 
he he starts singing something that that doesn't really hold up now in 2016. No. Watching in 2016, the watching the movie, it seems he, a lot more inappropriate. He, yeah, it, the kids kind of uh, come up to him and he says, "You want to be in my gang. my gang while my while gang. while handing out money like ten to money to kids." Yeah, um, and you're just sort of watching that now, post Gary Glitter, going, "Yeah, that's a little awkward." Ooh, dear. Yeah. Maybe they should edit that out of the next cut of the film. <laughs> um, maybe he can sing something like... Maybe he can sing T-Rex. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some, some, something that hasn't been sullied. Yes. Although I'm pretty sure like, it was the 70s. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> um, we're we're, we're, we're going to find out that everyone we once... Worshipped or idolized. Hell there was up to some stuff. Yeah. Um, I, feel, I feel like the entire like, culture is going through that phase. You know, the phase where you learn your parents are human. It's like I feel like culture is going through that phase with like everything that it held dear. Yeah, it, it, it'll um, maybe in twenty or thirty years time they'll be saying, "Did you know um, Bill Clinton once drove a diesel car?" And they'll be like, "No, everything I thought I knew about the man." Yeah, um, he couldn't actually play sax; he just mined. No, hey, they could be listening. Yeah, um, he's our emperor. Is he? He um, robot Bill Clinton. No, I, I don't get the reference. Let's go back to talking about the movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like I like the way we build on tangents. Um, but and this is again, this leads to a nice um, a nice Jim Sheridan moment, right? Where Conlon is watching television after the police have started rounding up suspects of the bombing. Yeah, and he successfully recognizes his friend Paul Hill because his friend Paul Hill bought the same platform spats that he did yeah they bought the same outfit they bought the same outfit which is a nice bit of setup and dialogue yes because he actually says we bought the same outfits yeah. uh, and then two minutes later you're like i wonder if that would be important somehow and it turns out to be very important because yes. uh when he's watching the news the suspects are rounded up and one of them drops a platform spat yeah and s- straight away like it seems like that evening the yeah. police are um are raiding yeah uh his house uh, taken about in the middle of the night, um, which again is one of those sequences that you see in these films, and which yeah. it's probably true to life. To be fair to and it. then and then there's the brutal um, interrogation sequence, yeah, and the brutal prison scenes. Um, a lot of brutality at this point. There's, in the there's there's the whole family getting arrested. There's uh, Jared McSorley threatening to shoot his father. That is brilliant. He's like, I'm going to shoot your dad. <laughs> no, no, but it's not, even, it's not even that he sort of, he leans in and he whispers, I'm going to shoot your dad. It's, it's that after he does it and after sort of uh, Jerry freaks out at he it. Makes he, he makes wild eyes. He makes wild eyes and pantomimes it. Like, yeah, so while yeah. the cops are restraining uh, Jerry, yeah, um, yeah. this cop is like in the back of the room with the gun pressed against his <laughs> temple going, oh, look at what I'm going to do. Yeah, and then Jerry's like, look at him, look at him. So many other police officers, just, just to just to um, kind of underline how crazy this particular guy is. Some of the other ones are like, "Oh, put away the gun!" And yeah. he's like, "No, <laughs> too far, yeah. too far!" And he walks out of the room, and then one of them has to come back in and get him and yeah. take the gun off him. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is which is a really That's, strange it's, sequence. It's 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 a it's a fantastic um, moment. Is is it with Jeremy Sorley? This this is when they decide. Um, that like they 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 they've they've been they've held this guy for a certain amount of days. They say I can get a confession. 
Like, this, this is regardless of, of, of... Whether or not he's guilty or innocent. Yeah, it's just yeah, like, yeah. you know... I mean, it's like, I have something I can take out of the bag here. Yeah, I've been sort of saving this. this. My box of didn't want, Didn't want to drop this early, you know? Yeah. This is, this is like a night seven interrogation trick. Not yeah. a... You know. And I, I'm, I'm sure afterwards... Um, he's commended for, for how realistic it seems. Like, I thought you were genuinely I, crazy. I really did. When I sent that, that guy after you. Is that improvisation? Or? Yeah. Have you been, have you been practicing that? Yeah. Where'd you get those wild eyes? It was, it was, it was pretty amazing. Um, but then later on, like the Jared McSorley character seems almost guilty. About, oh yeah. Like, well, I, I, I think it's established how tired he is, uh, like up until that point. Yeah. And yeah, he, it, like, well, during the interrogation scenes, there are these wonderful sort of Jim Sheridan true to life moments where you have like people walking by with birthday cakes and stuff yes. in the corridor that side. And there's this wonderful impression that like this is this is just business as usual as far as the British police are concerned. Like you have them torturing these suspected bombers or these convenient bombers in one room and you've got like, you know, it's just a regular office party happening outside. It's like, mm. can you keep me a slice of that cake there when I'm done with this? Yeah, I, 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 there's, there's a lot of that uh, sort of little little bits put in like the um during when when eventually they've all confessed and they're they're being um convicted um of these crimes after after the um after the trial after the court sequences yeah. yeah um we see this um first aid box yes and, and i kind of turned to darren and i was like what's the deal with that first aid box there yeah well, they, they 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 set it up for um Two minutes later, um, what's... We're in the 70s where they're still treating people for hysteria. <laughs> it does look a lot like that. It's when they announced the sentences and they sentenced them all to sort of to, to life and to 15 years and to 30 years and all that sort of thing. Uh, one, of the, one of the accused freaks out, understandably, um, yeah. and goes hysterical and they sort of drag her off into a room and then they walk in with the first aid box and the screaming sort of stops and they carry her out in a stretcher. Yeah, the, that was kind of rubbish. It was, it was sort of like... Um, uh, the the one uh, woman of the four yeah. who was accused, and they the they, the men were just men were just sort of like yeah, we're manly. They're standing by. It's like well, there there is there is a woman who's going to be convicted for thirty years. You we, should probably have sedatives, Sandy. Where's yeah, your Valium? Yeah. She has the vapors. Yeah, <laughs> the, the so Vicks. Needs yeah. to loosen her corset. Yeah, um, yeah, and then on the other hand, you just have this shot of Daniel Day Lewis in his cell, looking really forlorn, stoic, yeah, and Irish. Uh, but yeah, so then after that, they are basically sent off to prison, which is when the when the movie really sort of begins. Yeah. Um, the movie sort of, it, it does a lot of setup, but the setup takes about half an hour, maybe 40 minutes at a push. And then um, you get to the core of the film. Yeah, I, 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 thought, I thought it was, it was um, uh, touching when the, um, the son, Jared, um, has, has had to go through the whole kind of like, being being hosed down and covered in like the delousing, delousing sort of. and and then is in the prison cell and sees uh, his father, um, yeah, uh, going through also the same being process. subjected to the same thing. Yeah, um, I thought I, I I thought that was quite affecting. So here's a question for you, right? The yes. the film came in for a lot of criticism when it first came out, um, and a lot of that criticism was based around the particular details of the case. So, for example, mm. the court cases were described by uh, David Pallister, uh, remarked that, and I quote, uh, the myriad of absurdities in the court scenes straight out of LA law are inexcusable. Mm. Um, and then basically... I thought that when watching the movie, and, and I thought, um, 
a lot of this stuff is probably um, completely a simplification or like um, or even um, it's you know Hollywoodized yeah sort of ver- version of events where where but there is a danger in that and 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 I I see I see what Pallister is saying in it being inexcusable because I suppose there is a responsibility when making these sorts of stories based on true events not to distort them or to defend them or to sort of misconstrue ultimately they're making a movie they are but yeah. I mean the other side of that is that and this is something that happens with Michael Collins the, yeah. to make another example of an Irish historical film it sort of becomes accepted as the version of events the narrative of events yeah it it enters the kind of uh, cultural um, consciousness yeah where like the understanding that people generally have yeah. is informed by these sorts of things more than they are by the facts. actual history yeah. of the thing. Where I, th- I suspect that a large proportion of people our age think that Eamon de Valera was basically just Hans Gruber meets the Sheriff of Nottingham. <laughs> um, What's well, a great quote from Neil Jordan? He was talking about how um, what was it? It was Alan Rickman who, who was great in it, uh, but I disagree. Okay then, thank you, Andrew. But no, no, no. <laughs> Andrew feels very strongly about the portrayal of Eamon Devilleer and Michael Collins. But Neil, that's, Dr- that's 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 Alan Rickman as Eamon Devilleer disagreeing with, 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 with Neil Jordan. Yeah, uh, but Neil Neil Jordan's comment on it was that it was a great performance. But I didn't ask. Uh, I didn't ask Alan Rickman to play him like a praying mantis. But that's just what he brought to the role. Well, he plays camp villains. He really, <laughs> rather, rather he than, really if does. If you get Alan Rickman... Like, you know what you're going to get. That's what you're going to get. You're not going yeah. to get sort of a nuanced... Um, <laughs> nuanced sort of portrayal. But yeah, so... This is the thing, right? Because when it was released, it was massively controversial. Because it was released in the in Ireland in December 1993. It was released in the UK oh, in 1994, God. right? This was at the point where the provisional IRA had declared a ceasefire in late 1993. Mm. And you got the joint declaration from John Major and mm. Albert Reynolds in 1994, which is kind of a forgotten forgotten milestone on the road to uh, the Good Friday Agreement with Tony and, Blair and Burke. And, and yes, and, and, and hugely significant. And a very... Um, uh, very, very much um, compromised uh, John Major. Yeah. Um, uh, at, at the time, yeah. I, I, I mean the um, yeah. I, I, I suppose we don't want to make this too much of, well, of, 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 of a political political discussion. Partner. But I think but it's yeah, impossible yeah. to talk about the film without talking about that. It, it is. It is. It is tough. All right. There. Were, there. Were, um, let's let let's put it this way. There. Were, there. Were, there were um, a lot of uh, players in the peace process who um, uh, suffered for their, and I'm not, I'm not a fan of John Major, but, but <laughs> just who, to be clear on this, but, but who suffered for their for their contribution to that process, yeah. and for making certain. And I think it was seen that at the time releasing this particular movie, which is, and we we jokingly refer to it as a British people as Nazis film. Mm. Uh, but as a film that was very consciously vilifying. Like, there's a point towards the end of the film when it all comes out where one senior official says, don't make me a fall guy for the entire British legal establishment. Yes. And you're like, the film is kind of almost sympathetic towards him in that regard. Mm. In that it, it's it's never entirely clear how high the conspiracy behind the Guildford Four goes, who actually said, look, we need these four to be guilty. The impression is that everybody agreed on it at every level. Well, I, I imagine in these sorts of situations... Um, an entire society can be complicit in a yeah. sense in 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 
in that the um, the measures that were brought in to um, allow um, special powers to to hold um, suspects for seven days and seven nights that that that, that, that was something that the public at the time just were got behind, for yeah, because because they um, they perceived it as a necessary evil, just yeah, yeah but, but, uh, because they were in the midst of a. Sustained War. bombing campaign, yeah. yeah. a bombing campaign. Yeah. Uh, and in this case, it makes it clear, like, there are points in the film, we're talking about in a moment, where the IRA are, it is quite clear the IRA are not necessarily the, the good guys uh, no. by any any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Uh, as it was in reality. But there are also clear. points in the movie where where where, where it goes to, to, to kind of develop that thread further, only to um, take it back. Only to stop, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Here's the thing, right? So here's Jim Sheridan. When it was released, it was massive. There was obviously controversy. It was it was screened in Westminster. Oh, uh, it was actually screened in Westminster. The screening had to be stopped halfway through due to an emergency vote. But members of Parliament actually sit down, sat down and watched the film in very early 1994 after it had been released in Ireland, but before it was released in the UK, so that they could comment on it and discuss it. Uh, and it was great. It's great actually reading the comments because a lot of MPs are like, "Yes, yes, it's actually a very good film from an entertainment point of view," but. Uh, Yes, maybe maybe the facts are not entirely uh, entirely accurate. Well, yeah, I, I I can see I can see their point, but also they're they're not the ones who want to protest too much. Yes, in this case, um, and Sheridan himself was was heavily interviewed about it. Uh, it came up time and time again, and it still comes up in interviews with Sheridan about it. Yes, um, but here's a quote that he gave the Los Angeles Times in January 1994, where he said, "It's not a political film in the usual sense of the word." I mean, it's all about politics, you know? That's one thing it's definitely not, is not anti-British. It's not a finger-pointing film. I love the English. I think they're great people. You can't touch them for loyalty. Some of my or best defense. friends are English. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit like that. Uh, but he goes on and he says, this is the thing that you were saying a moment ago, where he says, I hope one of the points of the film that is obvious to English viewers, namely that one of the great tragedies of the IRA bombings is that the English have allowed them to inflict such terrible damage to their legal system. And I don't think it's anti-English of me to say mm. that, the Irish, from Swift to Shaw to Oscar Wilde, have always served as outsiders that made the English look at themselves. Uh, which is actually a very, very good defense of the film. Of that, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, 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 I think that's actually quite eloquent. I think it is. And I think it's, it's one of those films that's just as relevant today, actually, ironically enough, um, as it was when it was produced. Um, as Prisoners demonstrated with its own exploration <laughs> of similar themes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the um, so then we get into is the father son relationship yes. even even further because there's already been some um, suggestions of it earlier in the movie where he comes to um, save Jer from from from, from the IRA and, and he walks and him to the boat. Walks him to the boat. There's yeah, and he calls him and he asks, "Do you want?" Well, okay. Uh, Jerry calls him, but he Giuseppe asks, "Do you need any money?" Um, which yeah. is a nice touch because Paul's, Paul's asking Jerry to ask for money. Uh, Jerry doesn't want to ask for money, but Giuseppe volunteers anyway, and Jerry still says no. But it's it's a nice scene where you get the sense that he really yeah. does care. But there is, it, you also get the sense that there's that sort of um, disappointment, uh, yeah, and conflict. Yeah. Um, there and then there's the scene where they're both sharing a prison cell, and he says, "Why? Why do you always?" Come to me when when I when yeah, I've why done you always follow me when I'm yeah. yeah. What about the medal? <laughs> Which and this is one of the things I really and again this is another one that Jim Sheridan touches because it happens several times in the film yeah. where they're in prison together um, and Daniel Day Lewis's character Jerry will have a conversation with his father 
and it'll be nominally it'll start related to one thing which is immediately to the scene but it'll jump back to a moment from their childhood that Jer has obviously sort of latched on to an internal yeah. so for example it's, it's all of this stuff where it's like um, this thing that happened years ago years ago is the foundation stone of our relationship and we're finally yeah. getting a chance Why to talk about it. Why did you do it. that when I was seven? Yeah, which is very Freudian in a way, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, but it, it's it's also, it's it's the fundamental core of the film, which is you lock a father and a son in a room together and they and the, hammer it out. Yeah, and this is something that's probably quite familiar to most people. Yeah. It's um, the, um, yeah, it's 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 about this medal he won at football. Yeah. And, and that uh, Giuseppe... Um, kept asking him. If yeah, he, he didn't celebrate. Yeah, he yeah he didn't celebrate, and 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 that he was the only father who was um, at all concerned about the yeah, the killing ethics. the buzz. Yeah, uh, and the other fathers used to laugh at you. Yeah, uh, and all that sort of stuff. And it turns out, and I love the, the detail that I love is that Jerry's mean like, yeah, I did foul the ball. Yeah. <laughs> but you still so should have been proud of me. Yeah. yeah, we won. You still should have been proud of me. And then he sort of does, well, that justified everything that I did after that point. And, and then there's this thing about um, him. I feel like um, Jerry's character feels ashamed of his father, like his whole life. Because there's this whole thing running through the movie that um, you're, uh, Giuseppe's not well. Yeah. When, when, when originally it comes out that, that Jerry is... Um, uh, has been arrested. Yeah. When 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 they see him being arrested, and the family are talking about it. Giuseppe says, "I don't have the strength for this." Yeah. And that's something that I think has 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 affected Jer is is that he doesn't have that um, maybe pride in yeah. his father that 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 the other kids, I guess, growing up with him would have had. Yeah. Well, I mean, the argument is, I think Jer accuses him of not being strong enough. Of never standing up for never himself. Never standing up for himself. Um, like he talks about how his his issue with breathing, uh, yeah. for example, and it is his it's his lungs that kill him in the end. Uh, now that we're in the spoiler section, yeah, pul- pulmonary thrombosis. Yeah. Oh, which, very nice. <laughs> somebody was paying attention. <laughs> which was which was probably not helped by all the smoking in the jail cell. Yeah. yeah. There's a, there's a lovely scene after the Vic vapor rub scene, which is a touching father son. You need this to breathe moment. Yeah. Uh, where you know it cuts from Pete Pottlethwaite making the noises that Andrew's making now, and sort of pans upwards to the bunk bed above him, where Jer is sitting down with an ashtray on his chest. Puffing away on a cigarette like no tomorrow, and there was yeah. a scene later on in the film which flashes yeah, back to the two of them. Flashes, yeah. When when he's when when it's gotten to the point where Jer um, is fondly remembering his father, is fondly remembering his father, and has taken on his father's um, campaign and responsibilities which, and responsibilities, which is to uh, to fight their conviction yeah. um, and to 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 launch this appeal. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he there's looked, a quick snap of them he looks together back yeah. fondly, and the two of them are smoking in the jail cell together. Yeah, um, which is is kind of and part of me is sort of wondering is that a nineteen is that a result of the film being made in 1993 like or I'm, a result of the film yeah, being set in 1974? Back in 1993, I feel like I can remember there being like full page ads for cigarettes um, yeah. in like magazines and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, so, yeah, it's a different time. It was but, a very different time. Yeah, I, I think that... I, I, I wonder, was was Sheridan um, trying to suggest... That Making this, a point about how, how yeah. Jer was literally harming his father yeah. uh, by puffing away the cigarette while having these pulmonary episodes, or whether it was just a result of it being a different time or different culture. Yeah. Um, we're not sure. Answers on the back of a postcard, please. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe if his father had said, um, "You can have as much LSD." As you, yeah, there is as, a, there is a as, scene. There's a yeah. there's a nice little scene where he goes and he trips balls with a bunch of other inmates. Yeah, where where they're eating uh, little bits of the British Empire. Yes, which is a very clever touch. It's a jigsaw that's dipped in LSD to smuggle it through um, the checkpoints. Yes. Um, and basically they're eating countries. They're picking countries to eat. Yeah, he gets I, w- I wonder why um, there's, there are all these... Uh, well, there's one Rastafarian especially who, who seems to have a sort of a f- flop house so, <laughs> where everyone is just smoking weed and taking LSD in the prison. Um, and this 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 is the maximum security prison. I wonder I wonder what the um, what that guy got got into prison for. I am, and it's kind of it's weird that <coughs> the film never really sort of explains. I suppose drug smuggling. <laughs> quite, quite possibly, <laughs> at the risk of stereotyping the guy smuggling acid into a prison. Um, yeah, you think they'd watch out for that stuff? Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, the, the guards seem fairly okay about it. I'm actually, this is one of the things I'm really curious about prison movies, having never actually been in prison apart from visiting Kamehameha. I movies. love prison movies. A lot of people don't like prison movies because they're, they're, they think kind of, um, because it, 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 it gives them all the anxiety about, about actually having being their in freedom prison. taken away. And put in a box. But yeah. I'm sort of like, are people allowed that much freedom and that much to decorate and to make their cells theirs and all that sort of stuff? Um... And it's really I, I, like I, I think it's like one of I, as, as far as I can tell from all of the prison movies <laughs> is that it's technically contraband, but that people nobody give, really give cares. It a pass yeah, unless they want to get you. Okay. In which case, they'll take all your contraband. It's an open source of psychological and, and warfare. It, yeah, it's 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 generally like an example of the brutality of prison. It's taking yeah, it away. They're enforcing the rules. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They what that they, monster? For they it. let you get away with things, so that if they want to really hurt you, they can take them away. Yes. Um, that's how you know it's a villain in a prison movie if he's enforcing the regulations and laws that society has put in place. Yeah, so so he comes back from taking LSD and from... Well, actually, just on that, did when they decorated the cells, was anything hanging on the wall? Did anything hanging on the wall belong to Giuseppe? I mm. couldn't see anything. There are Jimi Hendrix posters and Beatles posters, and I think there may have been a Bob Dylan one at some point, and I'm just like... Uh, I, and, I, I can imagine there would have been like a sacred heart... Yeah, well, because he, he has our, rosary our, beads at one point. Yeah, he has rosary beads. He's but, saying the rosary, and Jer comes in... And, off his head. Yeah, he starts saying, are you praying for the seven cavalry? And then starts going... Duh, 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 duh. Which, by the way, if you are on drugs, that's that's pretty much a giveaway right there. Yeah, pretty much. And his father, keen if observer... If you're on drugs listening to this, well, what are you doing? You're doing, you're doing it either very wrong yeah, or very right. Listen to some music. Yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't count as us saying welcome to the spoiler zone. <laughs> but yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, Who says, are you on drugs? And Jer is like, yes, yes I am. Yeah. Um, and they have this conversation where he's... And again, this ties into this idea of Jer oh. sort of struggling with his father's legacy. Bad pulmonary thrombosis, excuse yeah. me. <laughs> Andrew caught it from the film. Yeah, I still have that cough that I had from the first episode. All of a week ago. Yeah, the reviews are in. Yeah. Unlistenable to. <laughs> Is that how you how you say that? Un, un, <laughs> unlistenable unlistenable to, to. Un, unlistenable. There we go. <laughs> unlistenable. Unlistenable. Yeah, we need to look up the uh, dictionary of words that don't exist. Yes. I imagine there's a lot of hyphens. Yeah. All right. So anyway, while they're in prison, um, 
this is where it sort of seeks back into the whole um, IRA plotline, the whole politics thing. Yeah. Because it turns... And, and we, we see Ronnie, who we thought was Ronnie Cray. Turns out he is Ronnie, but he's, he's, he's Ronnie, Ronnie Smalls, Smalls in the film. Ronnie Biggs. Yes, which is actually some really great... There's some really great wordplay in, in the screenplay taking place here. Yes. So they go to prison. There's this English guy called Ronnie who seems to be running the place. Yeah. Our first reaction, uh, giving our limited familiarity with British criminals named Ronnie, was to think that that was Ronnie Cray because he had the sort of slick black hair and he seemed very violent. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out uh, the character is called Ronnie Smalls. Yeah. Um, the real life person is Ronnie Biggs, who I believe was involved in the Great Train Robbery. Yeah. Um, which is a, a kind of oh, oh was I fact checking? <laughs> you were supposed I to be you already fact checked. I believe I already fact checked it, but uh, I just found it very weird that you would change the name. Yeah. Of that, particularly because like he's a criminal, he doesn't really have a good name to protect. I believe calling him Ronnie Smalls was for the people who thought he was Ronnie Cray. Oh, and, no. and then uh, you find that it's Ronnie Biggs if if you apply if you that dig sort deeply. of logic. Yeah. yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah. So, so the the actual uh, bomber um, then enters the prison. Yes. Who is a, an ardent IRA man? Yes. Very hardcore. And it's you get this nice little contrast between like Jer and Giuseppe arrive in prison, and they all they go to the room and they they keep to themselves, and they're all bullied by the British inmates. And then you know the IRA man arrives. Yeah, and 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 that's the moment of the movie where they uh, they 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 play the. It's the Mad Max music. Yes. <laughs> during, during the fight scene, pretty much. Yeah. There, basically, this is the point where if if you're Irish, you're, your you, sympathies are beginning to yeah, sort of swell. You're like, yeah, finally, they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're fighting back. Um, yeah, which, in fairness, we should clarify, it changes later on in the film. That the yes. film is very much setting you up for a nice sucker punch, just yeah. in case anybody and, thinks. And that, that, that starts to um, draw Jer closer to... Um, this IRA guy who arrives yeah. in, um, sits down at his table, lets the British prisoners hassle him, and then proceeds to headbutt them in the face and beat them with chairs. Yeah, that's some, that's some good... Um, prison up. prison yeah. fight sequence. Prison fight sequence. Which is yeah. kind of, you know, because you're watching The Name of the Father, it's a very nice, intimate, moving family film. You're like, what could this need more? A prison fight scene. And it's like, okay... Oh, do you, do you know what else it has? What like, else it has? Um, Joe uh, McAndrew, who's the, 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 the IRA leader who's in the prison, yeah. then decides that they need to um, have a campaign to, yes. to use the sheets. So, there, so there's a, a prison takeover. There is, all and all, it's, all of the prison it, wardens leave. They, what does it start over? It starts over something very tiny. I can't remember what it is. Um, and he goes outside. Oh, socks. Socks, yes. They're hanging their socks out the window to dry. Yeah. Or that's what they claim anyway. And, 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 the, and the British claimed the, that, that they're... That they're um, a signal. Yeah, a signal. So they started to it by, to creating it by actual yeah. signals. Yes. Uh, which are signs sort of written in and they storm. Yeah. They basically hold the place and then the police... Apparently uh, this stuff has been seen on the news so they decide to bring in all these riot police. Yeah, which is an obvious solution. You know, nothing de-escalates a prison riot quite like riot police. And, and, and there's a great moment where one of the uh, prison wardens, um, says, the, the riot squad are coming in and they're like, shh. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, quiet. be very quiet. Be very quiet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, you don't want the prisoners to realize that the riot squad is coming. Yeah. Um, we don't want to give them a chance to surrender peaceably. 
Yeah, you 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 want to startle them. Yeah, but it, it's not even it's not even like he does a hand gesture, which is like keep it down. It's actually he goes shh, shh yeah, yes. you know, um, which is a very professionally trained thing. And then the movie sort of does lean you to sympathise towards uh, MacAndrew, is it MacAndrew? Yeah, yeah, to uh, I mean, just to to some extent, yeah. yeah. You, you certainly see that the character of Jer has is drawn to him because yeah. he he confesses immediately to the crime that he yeah. committed um, and he say tells the police that they have innocent men in custody and he immediately tries to talk to both Jer and Giuseppe to explain the situation to them yeah um, and Giuseppe quite rightly points out um, that you this man blew up, has, has blown killed up a, five people yeah. children of God yes uh, yes uh, without any warning it's yeah. probably not the kind of person you want to hang around with in prison no uh, as cool as he might be and as much Mad Max soundtrack as he might get so we built it up a little bit um, for uh, the movie the, to land its left punch the Godfather scene yes which is great by the way if you are having a movie screening in prison would you choose to show the Godfather would I yes like, but I'm a bit odd yeah <laughs> <laughs> I imagine like the sound of music would probably be a better choice Probably. Now, yeah, I realize yeah. you guys are all in here for serious crimes and murders. So, Something here's some of that. Yeah, here's... Yeah. Uh, I think you might appreciate this. Yeah. So, um, d- during a screening of The Godfather in prison... Um, Which, by the way, is totally not cinema etiquette. Uh, what happens next is totally outside the remit of cinema etiquette. Yeah. If, if it's, it's rude um, when watching a movie to... to f- first of all, put a blanket over the projector... That's, yeah, that ruins it for everyone. Yeah. Then to to f- f- fire lighter fluid all over the person who has put on the movie for you. Yeah, who happens to be the warden. Yeah, and si- set them on fire. Yeah, that's just ignorant. Yes. yes I mean, you can't see with that light source in the room, you can't really focus on the picture. Yeah, and, and that's, the, that's the point where um, uh, Jer... And, and the audience. And the, uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I suppose to give the audience... Credit as well, for for members of the audience who are carried away yeah. and and believed that um, yeah that that uh, believed in things in black and white yeah. um, and believed the film might have been endorsing a particular yeah, point of view. There, you you um, Jer realizes and uh, those members of the audience realize that that this person is a monster yeah. and and a coward. Yeah. Um, and then he promptly disappears in the movie. Yeah. Um, which is, is surprisingly, it's a very odd... Again, you're talking about like weird, jarring cuts in the film. The character is very much literally just sort of cut out of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and um, at this point, there, the prison chief uh, warden is replaced by another actor from Fair City. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, we can't actually tell you which actor from Fair City. But no, he, 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 he played the, um, the owner of the garage in, okay. in a... Um, uh, not, not the current owner of the garage, I don't think. Um, you, 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 can, you can tune in on Wednesdays to our Fair City podcast. And we'll figure it out. Sponsored by Fair City. Or is it Mace? Centra. I feel like there's an actual shop in Fair City. That, that they, actually belongs to... Uh... They, they, get, they, they get money... And the for, product place it. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. We should do that. Um, yeah, there's, there, then there's the Vic scene that we spoke Which about. Which is, re- we really like the Vic scene. It's yeah. A very, it's a nice one. It's a wonderful touch. Um, it's, and, it's, it's another of those kind of human moments. And then sort of Emma Thompson's character sort of arrives. She arrives in the wake of the Wyatt. Uh, the wake of the Wyatt? The, rake, the wake of the riot. Use your words. Yes, and put them together. Um, I can pronounce jail properly. Um... <laughs> But she arrives in the wake of the riot and you can tell she's the good person because when they're giving the guided tour and doing the call of inmates 
And one of the inmates is missing and the, the chief warden says, oh, don't worry about him. He just can't walk down the stairs right now in the wake of this massive riot that we had. Um, yeah, cause, she's cause the member. His, his health deteriorates even further after. Don't yeah. Uh, but uh, to, 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 uh, at which point Darren starts laughing because <laughs> his son is smoking. Yeah, because um, we saw this. You laughed too. <laughs> I laughed too. But um, you while, felt bad. I did feel least. bad. Well, I felt bad because it cuts from the scene of Jer smoking the cigarette. Like immediately afterwards, his father has like a pulmonary episode. And you're yeah. like, if he dies now, I'm going to feel really bad about laughing at this, this touching moment. Yeah. But during the guided tour um, for this committee that's investigating the riot, mm. Emma Thompson's kind of like, well, you know, it might be a good idea to talk to all of the inmates, particularly those who are so badly injured that they cannot make it downstairs for roll call. Yeah. And the chief of the inquiry's like, no, 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 we, we've seen enough. We've seen enough. And she's yeah. like, okay, I'll meet you in the car park. You need to beat traffic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's four o'clock here. Come on. Um, but yeah, so that's the moment where you sort of realize she's... Uh, and it's great because she's introduced by... Um, by Jer saying, you know, first time I saw you, all I knew was you were a, law- a lawyer, and I thought that was enough. Yeah, like something, something along those lines, basically. Um, and then you have, immediately have this touching, humanizing moment where she goes up and she talks to Giuseppe. Yeah, and she sort of begins. She begins to question. Yeah, and she begins to take up the cause and stuff like that. And then Giuseppe really takes up this cause. Yeah. Um, yes. The the um, well, I, I believe he had actually taken up the campaign already. Yeah. Well, um, he did, because when he talked yeah, about the riots, he said, this is not going to help us. This is going to hurt the campaign. Yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. And the film is sort of a little bit ambiguous about, the, and this is one of the things I'm not entirely sure of when it comes to the chronology of the film, right? Because it really, it embraces, after the riot, it embraces the campaign. But it's never really clear beforehand how much of a campaign there is and how involved, well, it's, it's clear Jer isn't involved at all, but how involved Giuseppe is. Like if you watch, is writing a lot of letters. Yeah. It's like if, and, and I believe um, at one point... The uh, um, chief warden who later gets lit on fire. During his humanizing um, moment. Oh, you were mentioned in Congress, which is a weird uh, word to use. Congress was... was, It might have been the US Congress. Perhaps. Um, Could it it have been? To the fact machine! To the fact machine! And we're back from the fact machine. Yes. Uh, rather indefinitive. But yes, we conf- the fax machine was able to confirm that uh, the Guildford Four and the Birmingham Six uh, were mentioned in Congress by, I believe, Ted Kennedy um, on the 17th of November, 1989. Yes. However, uh, we also determined that uh, Giuseppe Conlon died in prison, we believe, in 1980, which would have been nine years before uh, the statement was, in fact, made. Yeah, so that... that, that um, um, May have been one of those cases where um, they've uh, altered facts for the sake of the of narrative. Well, I mean, yeah. again, there's a sense that this is more interest, more of a more of a story um, about a father and son relationship than it is a historically accurate account of. Yeah, uh, I mean, story. yeah, l- l- as we said earlier, there is a kind of a danger of doing that, but um, yes, very much so. And 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 it was also a, an attempt to. Uh, humanize the um, prison warden. Prison warden before um, burning him. Burning him. Yes. Uh, yes. It was. It was a quite. The scene was again. This was like. This was like the sequence where Jer mentions that he bought the exact same clothes as Paul two minutes before you see Paul drop the exact same shoe. Mm. The film is very much. It's setting up something in order to pay it off almost immediately. Yeah. So it's like the prison warden hasn't really had much of a character up until that point. 
he has a conversation with Giuseppe where they talk about how Giuseppe got his name. It turns out it was from an Italian ice cream maker. Um, who, who, who wasn't having an illicit uh, love affair with his mother. Definitely not, to be no. clear. Um, and then it cuts... Then, you know, you pretty much go to the Godfather movie night where the warden, having been humanised, is set on fire. Yes. And Jerry realises that the IRA might not be such nice people. Now, now after, after the scene in which uh, Darren laughs... Um, uh, Wait, can we? Can we? I'm about to say. Can we? Can we just? Um, <laughs> can we, that can we just expunge that for the record? Um, again, I was. No, no, again, no. it was the fact that it cut we from Giuseppe laughed. struggling. Only to <laughs> yes, um, the moment where Giuseppe was struggling to breathe and Jerry was puffing on a cigarette, deep yeah, in thought. Exactly. 1993 was a different time. Yes. Um, so I feel like we haven't talked much about Emma Thompson's character. No, Emma Thompson is playing kind of I um the good British person. Yeah, she, she does that Emma Thompson thing, I think. Where she's sort of righteous and justifiably angry, yeah, but, but also, also seems kind of restrained. Um, yeah, and 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 little, does she seem a little bit bumbly or absent-minded sort of Yeah, like, kind what? of um yeah, like like um sort of uh, librarian character who forgets that there's pencils in her hair. Yes. Except in this case, it turns out that... Uh, and this is one of the, Again, this is another one of those nice Jim Sheridan moments where the entire case against the... Um, against Conlon um, and all his friends... According is, to the movie. According to the movie. Yeah. Is undone by the fact that uh, a chief archivist called in sick one day. Yes. Uh, which is a great sequence because... Uh, Emma Thompson is asking to look at the records and she's only allowed access to the records under very strict conditions and very strict supervision. Um, she's allowed to, she has to ask the archivist to bring her a page or a document. She can only read one page at a time. If she wants it photocopied, he has to do it. She can't take any of it with her. Which seems screwy. It does seem a little bit suspicious. Yeah. Um, freedom of the press and freedom of uh, fair, right to fair trial and all that. Mm. Um, and I love that she's given a pen and she specifically asks what the pen is for. It's like being, being in the British Library yeah. and checking all of your stuff. And yeah, yeah. But yeah, she's, she's given a pen and she asks why they gave her that specific pen. And they're like, oh yeah, so if, if anybody scribbles in the margins, we can trace it back to you. Yeah. It's like, this is the power the British Library wished it had. <laughs> Um, but what happens in how she... The, the Brit- British Library uh, crime scene investigation. Yeah. yeah, this is the uh, Law & Order uh, UK spin-off that never happened, alas. Yes. Poor Peter Davison. <laughs> poor, poor Peter, Peter Davison. But um, what happened, how she basically figures out they're innocent, and I, lo- I love this detail. I love everything about how she figures out they're innocent in the film. The chief archivist calls in sick, so yes. he's replaced by a guy who obviously hasn't been given the same we're screwing these guys over talk. Yeah, he hasn't been coached. Yeah, he hasn't been put in this proper conspiracy workshop thing. So she's like, you know, can you do this for me? He's like, the archivist is sick. And she's like, please, I've got to be in court tomorrow. And he's like, okay. Shh, I'll you know, give whatever. you all the files. <laughs> yeah. Can I get a file for Giuseppe Conlon, uh, which is the only one she has rights to access? And then he walks over and he's like, which Conlon did you say? I've got two boxes here. Um, which by the way if you're an archivist involved in a conspiracy never give somebody the choice of choosing which file they want because they'll always pick the incriminating one (laughs) Um, she asks to see Jerry's file and in Jerry's file the guy just plonks it out on the desk 
she finds a note, and it's it's a beautiful little note because it's the kind of note that you see scribbled when you're in like a, a mid level office, you know. Um, there's a little post-it stuck in the corner of, an, of a witness statement taken, which says, "Don't show the defence," and <laughs> not it, to be shown, not to defense. be shown to the defence. Apologies, proper grammar. <laughs> the conspiracies always have proper grammar, but it's signed. Yes. Which is the best part of this. Yeah. Like, if you're involved in a conspiracy, you want a proper <laughs> chain of paperwork and evidence. Yeah. Um, and naturally, she finds this file which reveals that... Well, that just gives it the authority. It really does. You don't want to be covering up for, you know, some guy down in clerical, you know. You want to know that the conspiracy you're involved in is high level. Signed. The yeah. Prime Minister. <laughs> yes. It's it's like, this will make it a lot easier to, to, to execute our crime. Won't it also make it easier <laughs> to trace the crime if it should be discovered? Meh. I won't be. <laughs> How could it possibly be? The archivist hasn't taken a holiday in five years. Um, but yeah, and so she finds this document, which is basically um, our evil plan. Yeah. Um, which happens to reveal that the police did take a witness statement uh, from Charlie... What's his name? Oh, yeah. We, we, we had a surname later on. And, and, and we did... Yeah. Uh, Charles Dance. Uh, no, it is. It is not Charles. That would be. I would love it if the the, the like the key witness in the case turned out to be Charles Dance. Uh, uh, I am the most evil British actor who ever worked, and I say these men are innocent. Charlie Burke. That's Charlie Burke. Yeah. Who, by the way, this is one of those again another example of the film messing with history. Right in the film, yes, he is portrayed as an alcoholic homeless person who scrawls his oh. name on benches in the park. Yes, uh, the, the, the um, he's the familiar Irish character yes. of the uh, drunk homeless person. Yes, the, uh, but say, pleasant, pleasant drunk. Pleasant drunk. He's not aggressive. Person. He's like he's you're like, on my bench, but I can still sleep on it. You can still sit on it as long as I yeah, can sleep on it's, it. It's like in um, a Clockwork Orange, or um, yeah, or yeah. or in the birds. Yeah. Or the bit where the bit where he asks for a bit of money and uh, Jer gives him some because he's a nice sort. It's a nice humanizing moment. It's like I wouldn't want to take all of your money. Yeah. No, which is a very considerate uh, alcoholic bomb. Indeed. In reality, uh, the man, the witness um, who turned out to ultimately vindicate them, was a young man working in a shop. Ah. Which seems like a bit of a strange choice to make in the process of adaptation. Yeah, some people maybe in the audience would be like, do, do Irish people work in shops? Yeah, I, I, I don't really buy this. They're not this. all homeless people. Or terrorists. Or terrorists. Remember that time, actually, it is worth mentioning in the context of In the Name of the Father being a 1993 film. There was a stage in the 90s where like the IRA were the go-to terrorists, like when you were doing... When you're making a movie and you needed some terrorists. Yes, yeah. It was, it was like... Um, Patriot Games. Patriot Games. Uh, yeah. Played by Sean Bean. Yes. Um, there was The Jackal. She's gone. <laughs> um, the ja- which is great, by the way. If you go to Flanagan's on O'Connell Street, which is actually... It's a really nice restaurant in its own right. Yeah. Uh, but down at the bottom, they have a picture from the film and they have a page from the Tom Clancy novel, at which point... Yes, where, on O'Connell Street. Yeah, yeah, where sort of, I think, Sean Bean goes into, like, a dive bar, and it's specifically described as a grotty dive bar named Flanagan. <laughs> and you're kind of like, would you hang this on your wall? Um, but the restaurant is justifiably proud of it. Yeah, it is, it was, like... Um, it is a dive bar. See, Tom Clancy was staying at the Gresham. Yeah, just and, across the road. To yeah. The, um, and then there was also the Jackal, where... For some reason, Richard Gere put on the most awful Irish accent. Do you remember that? Oh, dear. 
That was the one where they had to catch Bruce Willis. It was a terrible yes. film. And where he shoots Jack Black's arm off. Oh. These are all the images that I remember from the film. It's another movie that unfortunately will we'll probably, probably go in Mooney's Meh. Yeah, Mooney's Meh. Mooney's Meh. Mooney's Meh movies. I like it. Yeah. Triple M. Yeah. Um, and what was the, there was one more. Oh, The Devil's Own. Yes. Remember that Brad Pitt also stomached by, also sort of flummoxed by an Irish accent. Yes. Where like, this Irish person you take into your home is probably a terrorist. Yeah, well, we, 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 uh, we were... Um, uh, the the go to bad guys. Yeah, I say I say we <laughs> collectively <laughs> when, when, when referring to the IRA. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear on this, yeah, we're 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 technically neither oh, of us, yeah. uh, as far as you know. Yeah, um, um, yeah, and uh, yeah. I think you're saying when you say we, you mean Irish people, not 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 members of the IRA. I hope. I I. I know, I know. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm no longer a member of the IRA. I have not, and never have been a member. Oh yeah, sorry. That's what I mean. <laughs> Thank you. Andrew's the kind of person who gets flummoxed when he goes into the US when he's asked those sort of you know those form questions, which I really love, which are the visa application questions, where they're like, they don't "Did ask you those questions anymore?" They're just like, "Take your shoes off." <laughs> But no, no, but when you're on the plane, you get the little sheet that says, yes, uh, yes, did yes. you participate in the Holocaust? Which I love. Oh. I love because it's like you've got this 70-year-old, sorry, 90-year-old Nazi at this stage who's like lived undercover in Venezuela yeah. and who's flying to New York for like his cousin's daughter's wedding. Did you wedding. participate? Did you take part? Yeah. Because it's not the winning. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. And you're like... Yeah. You, you, did just, you take part in the Holocaust? Yeah. Was um, it one of yours? <laughs> But you sort of, you imagine the Nazi who's been in hiding for 90 years, sort of flying on the plane and he's like, damn it. Tired. Yes. Yeah, Stuart. He's just woken up. Yeah. Um, stewardess, can I get another visa form, please? <laughs> yeah. Um, third time's the charm, I swear. Third time. Always, yeah. always trips me up. But uh, what were we talking about before? We kind of went off on a bit of a tangent. We went off on, on one of our special tangents. They're, they... They're the most fun tangents. Oh, this is His the evidence. His father dies. Yes, uh, which is well. kind of a big point. Yeah, and 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 then um, there is an exercise montage, which what? I really like. Um, and you're being a big fan of exercise montage. Yeah, the the the, the character changes. Yes. Jerry's character, his hair is different. And his hair is neater and tidier. And, yeah, and he's doing chin-ups. And he's played by Daniel Day-Lewis, so he's like put on 20 pounds in like 30 seconds of footage. You know, it's like, uh, it's amazing. Um, and it's really very gaunt in this movie. He is very gaunt, and it, Day Lewis is, is amazing. We'll talk. We'll probably talk about Day Lewis in a moment. Yeah. Um, but the thing that grabbed me about that scene, you loved that scene. I was maybe less sold on that scene for like the simple fact that the scenes of Jer like getting into shape and like doing like chin ups on Take it his to the limit. yeah <laughs> dance along the razor's edge um, are juxtaposed with scenes of like Emma Thompson walking in the rain and doing boring paperwork and stuff like that. And it really, like, watching that sequence, you get the impression that Jer really has the easy end of this deal, only being sentenced to prison for life. Yeah. He doesn't have to walk through the rain and get splashed and wait patiently to be screwed over by the government. He no. just does chin-ups all day. Yeah, like, I, 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 think, I think I like these prison movies because part of me sometimes thinks... Think. Part of me sometimes... <laughs> Thinks. Thinks. Yeah, it is thorough. Yeah. That, that, that um, prison would be great in some sense. <laughs> in some sense. You'd be very focused. You yeah, wouldn't have yeah. anywhere to go. Yeah, exactly. You could, you could do, like, tons of exercise. 
Um, <laughs> and you could you could read like um, all the stuff. You wouldn't be distracted by anything. You could do you could do a whole lot of degrees, especially if you do something particularly heinous. <laughs> On the other hand, um, you could call me crazy here. There's the, the fact hand, that okay, there, you are there. locked in a box for the rest of your natural life. Yeah, with like four square meals in a cot. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> I, I don't always get four square meals. Mom, if you're listening, I do. Um, are you, um, you're, you're one of those people who really likes the Shawshank Redemption, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Right up until the point where he escaped. <laughs> yeah, you're like, why would you ruin a good thing? Yeah. I mean, you were cooking those books like a pro. Yeah, exactly. You even got to have beer. Yeah. <laughs> really, prison and beer is really the ideal sort of... Yeah. Is this and one... Like, you, you, were, you, you got beer while also inhaling tar fumes. Yeah. It's the best of both worlds. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sort of reminds me of the... Back onto it. Back onto it in the name of the father. This is, this is very much like I would love to have a peg leg because I feel like having a peg leg would allow me, would mean that I wouldn't have to do anything else. Like, it would be the story that I would tell, you know? Yeah. Like, nobody would be like, what are you doing with your life? Like, no, no, Andrew's in prison. Um, so, yeah, I, I do feel like Especially that... Especially if I was wrongly accused. Or if I, or if I did, um, committed some crime... Um, that's uh, that I could justify to myself. Well, it was morally justifiable. Yeah, like, like uh, one of those cases where where <laughs> like like Ant Man basically like Ant Man like Ant Man where have you seen Ant Man? I haven't. Is the okay. sequel going to be set in prison? No, but the the basic premise of the movie is that he's he's a superhero ex con, but because it's a Disney film, he's the most sympathetic ex con you can imagine. His crime was breaking into a house of a man who swindled people on a Ponzi scheme ah. and crashing his car into the pool. Awesome. Yeah, and yeah, that's it exactly. Like it's not like he stole money or he was desperate or he had need. He's a professional oh. thief, no? He is later on in the movie. Wow, okay. Because of that one experience. He used to be a software engineer or something like that. Oh. And apparently it's a field you can transfer knowledge very easily. Seems to be. Yeah. So he transfers Too all these... jobs these days. Yeah. He transfers all these all the people's money back, which is technically theft, um, <laughs> in inverted commas. Uh, uh, yeah, they, they've, they've yet to institute those Robin Hood laws. Yeah. Um, and so I imagine that's the kind of crime you would like to be convicted of. Perhaps, yeah, right. yeah. Although I probably shouldn't say that. I work in financial services. Destroying the system from the inside. If any of Andrew's friends, co-workers or colleagues are listening to this podcast. Yeah, this I is didn't a... bring that up, by the way. Darren did. He suggested that I was going to nail some person on a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> no, I suggested you're going to nail the person responsible for the yeah, Ponzi scheme, yeah. which is you know less more exactly. more justifiable, right? Probably st- just stay away from that whole Ponzi yeah. scheme. <laughs> oh, there, yeah. Um, yes. So he ends up in a Scottish jail, and which um, is tougher. Yes, because it's Scotland. Yeah, and I feel like the guy, the warden, had really bad ADR. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the bad ADR really gets to um, to Jer because he's uh, like, I'm not going in the prison. Yeah, so so he has a cassette tape chicken breakdown. Yeah, uh, which is remarkable. It's a remarkable scene. Uh, yeah, because right. it, it's it's Day Lewis sort of doing his big, and again, it's a, it's an Oscar moment for him. It's like the, yeah, it's the, the that's the bit they showed in 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 the um, in the Oscars when when they were like Daniel Day Lewis yeah. for In the Name of the Father. And then they saw him like... He's rapping. 
with it, wrapping with all cassettes, the, uh, ca- yeah. cassettes uh, around his head. Around Again, well, this is this is he's making the noise that he made to his father when he's like, "This is what I hear when you talk, and it's just nonsense." Mm. Which I thought was a nice nice character touch there. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, so I, I didn't feel like... Again, I feel like it worked better as a father-son movie mm. than it did as a prison movie or as a, like a political statement. Well, it's still a father-son movie when the father dies. Because he picks up the mantle and runs yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and he's doing it in the name of the father. Nice title drop there, Andrew. Thank you, Darren. <laughs> nice segue. But yeah, it feels like the ending is rather convenient. Uh, of course, this being a, a true-to-life, real-life story. This um, is where we see Tom Wilkinson. Yes, who shows up for uh, for like a two-second cameo as a very posh prosecuting barrister. Yeah. There is no striptease involved. No. No. Sorry to, sorry to break it to you. Well, uh, um, what do you call this? Um, getting silk. Or, oh God. Oh, no. And now there's a silence. Uh, You're going to have to explain the silk reference there, Andrew. The silk is about becoming a barrister. Oh, okay. Maybe. But it it sounds kind of sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Getting the silk from Tom Wilkinson. Do we need to jump back to the fact machine? (laughs) No, no. Not for that one. one. We're going to give you a pass on that one. And for some reason, I can see the notes that you took during the film from over here. You've written down the words Sinead O'Connor. Yes, yeah. The movie the movie ends with Sinead O'Connor, An- another um, anachronistic uh, music choice. But uh, but in fairness, it's at the start and the end of the movies, at at the end of the movie, I should say, where we have these two anachronistic um, yeah. movie uh, film, the cinema, thing <laughs> <laughs> where the choices. pictures move, <laughs> <Yeah>. motion pictures. Ah. <laughs> um. uh. So, Celluloid. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but yes, so we really like the film. Yeah. We actually really do. And as much I, as we it, really it, 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 yeah, it, I, I would, I would say it's, it's very good. Um, I, w- I would probably give it four stars. Oh, are we doing a star system? No. <laughs> no, I'm just throwing that out uh, there. Yeah, it's not a system because you don't know how many stars that's out of. Yeah. <laughs> could be out of four, could be out of 20. It's like a four-star general or is it like a four-star pizza? We, There's a huge difference between the two. Yeah. You don't want a four-star pizza in charge of your country's defense. No. All right, so what do we think of Daniel Day-Lewis? Um, Daniel Day-Lewis was great. I feel like um, there were a lot of... Um, like I, I've, what what felt to me maybe over the top emotional moments, but I think that was maybe just part of his um, character. And but having said that, Daniel Day Lewis is known for his over the top, and 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 that's that's a matter of taste whether you consider it over the top or whether you it, consider it raw and human. Exactly. And sort of... The 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 thing the question is um, how well does he deliver? That raw emotional kind of, and he does. Well, here's the thing: when they were shooting it, um, he would actually insist on being interrogated for hours and hours and hours. I because, can imagine that because he wanted to get into uh, the state of mind. Wasn't, wasn't he wrongly accused of a bombing for this movie? No, we don't even need to go to the fact machine to check that one. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> that was a joke about how how method he is. Uh, yes, uh, which we're putting method in inverted commas because that's not actually what the method is. It's just what people call the method. The method, the method is like 
the method is a, an approach to acting where you think, what would my character think in this situation if they were a real person? Mm. But what it has become in the years since the 70s, since like Dustin Hoffman and yeah. uh, Marlon Brando and stuff, um, has become, you know, I'm going to actually live this movie and then yeah. put, use that to put the experience on, scre- on it's screen. Like, it's like um, uh, Peter Weller um, saying, uh, call me Robocop. <laughs> when, Did he? When they're on set. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, it, it lasted for a while, and then eventually okay. he was like, okay, all right, sorry. Well, you know that, uh, yeah, Peter Weller habitually rewrites his own dialogue, which I imagine is fun as a writer. Um, <laughs> well, he wasn't in the second one. <laughs> yeah. uh, or, or no, wait, no, wait, no, no he, he, he wasn't in the third. Yes, that this was where is, you draw the line. Yeah, they they actually had a scene where, where, where he gets hit by a Molotov cocktail, which, which explains why now his face is different. And his voice and his body size. Yeah. Uh, and his they, acting yeah, ability. Yeah, they, 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 they put that... Um, I hope that is on the 250. I suspect it's not. Maybe on the bottom 100. Ro- the first RoboCop movie, I, 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 would, I would venture to say, deserves to be on the 250. Uh, so do I. I watched it recently. Uh, yeah. But I'm a big fan of Verhoeven in general. Usually satirical. Yeah. And, and, and those, and those, time, those, those movies shouldn't be remade unless they're going to be... Yes, well, um, going uh, to be true to the spirit of them. Yeah, as 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 in satirical for our time, are 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 at least ultra violent. I, I like a bit of the ultra violence. Well, I mean, we're we're going off on a tangent here, but we'll, we'll yes, we'll, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I like I like this tangent. We'll probably talk about it more if we ever talk about RoboCop. But what I find interesting about the remakes of the Verhoeven films, so for example, the RoboCop that stars what's his face, um, the guy they got from Suicide Squad when Tom Hardy bailed. Right. Or um, the what Joel was it? Kinnerman. Joel Kinnerman. There we go. That's yeah. that's the guy. Or um, the so remake of you too. Congratulations! <laughs> high five! High five! And that was the sound of us high fiving. Um, or the Total Recall remake that they did with Colin Farrell and Brian Cranston. Yeah. Where you're sort of looking at it and you're going, why would you remake a film that is as cult beloved as that, and then strip out everything that made it unique, everything that made it eccentric, and replace it with generic action movie stuff? Yeah, like none of those films have any the money. That's it exactly. But, like the weird thing is, like, these movies are really expensive to do. They are, and they've not performed particularly well at the box office. Neither of them. No, it's not a very good kind strategy of business model. No. Is making movies. It it's, <laughs> it's, it it seems to be this thing where where it's a. Uh, it needs to be treated. It, it may, may, maybe this sounds sanctimonious, but where it needs to be treated more like art. Because ultimately, like that's it, why the films became hits in the first place. Yeah, and and um, or became sort of called beloved films. And yeah, stuff. these big budget uh, movies, like they might, they cost loads of money. <laughs> they, they cost, cost loads, loads of, of movie to make. Mooney. They, they cost, cost loads, loads of money. <laughs> um, but and they make lots of money. But if they don't make loads of money, then it's like a complete another flop, and the stakes involved were huge, and you've lost all of this money. If you do make loads of money, you've made your money back, and I don't know. It, Listen to two guys tell Hollywood how to do it right. Yeah, sort out your margins. Yeah, <laughs> you really shouldn't plump that much onto big tentpole films that <laughs> studios if they bust. But that's just our opinion. We don't know anything about this. <laughs> um, so I did a bunch of research into... Talking about Dennis Lewis and The Method before we went off on the tangent. Yes. Again, I did a bunch of, of research and investigation into the movie before we did it. Mooney's research trivia potion. Yeah, that sort of thing. I don't know. We'll come up with a catchy name for it at some point in the future. But you know that Daniel Day-Lewis at one point 
And we're, this is like this is the thing that sounds like a joke, like like what you were saying earlier about Daniel Day Lewis being accused of like being a terrorist for this movie, yeah, or like Daniel Day Lewis being cast as Long John Silver and chopping his leg off, which <laughs> which are both jokes, and neither of which happened. Um, but while he was playing Hamlet um, in 1989, which was the last time that he set foot on stage, mm. he believed that he actually communicated with the ghost of his father. And he walked off the stage in the middle of the performance and has never set foot on stage as a performer since. Wow. I wonder if this movie uh, meant a lot to him for that reason. From that perspective. Yeah. Well, I mean, he... Now, to be fair... In the sense that this is a movie about a son and a father. Yeah, and... and which, which is... I, one of the themes of Hamlet, I guess, as well. <laughs> one of the many... Hamlet has every theme. Um, but here's the thing, right? So it's, he talks about this, this is a story that goes around and everybody tells it. Uh, his version of events, because he's like, that, that's, look, the way that you say I had a conversation with, with the ghost of my father on stage while performing Hamlet makes it sound crazy. Doesn't it a little crazy? So this is Daniel Day-Lewis's... A little bit. This is Daniel Day-Lewis's account of the moment, which is, I had a very vivid, almost hallucinatory moment in which I was engaged in a dialogue with my father. Yes. But that wasn't the reason I had to leave the stage. I had to leave the stage because I was an empty vessel. I had nothing in me, nothing to say, nothing to give. I had depleted myself to the point where I had nothing left. Which is a very Daniel Day-Lewis sort of sentence. It's like it's the most Daniel Day-Lewis statement you could imagine him making, where he's he's yeah. literally given it all. Well, yeah, well, when, when, when it's... Like, if, if it feels odd... To, to to think of Daniel Day Lewis as an actor in the way that we think of other actors as uh, actors, uh, he, he, he very much um, has this um, artistic aura about yeah. him. It's kind of when he talks about it like that. I almost imagine him as like at the you know at the climax of a big budget superhero film where the characters inevitably sort of stand up tall and, like, shoot lasers out of themselves and, like, scream. And sort of it's like, this is the aura. This is, that's kind of how I imagine Daniel Day-Lewis does acting. He sort of he opens his arms wide and he just sort of pours himself into the role. With huge lasers? With huge lasers. Um, this is why I should never produce a Daniel Day-Lewis film. Do the thing with the lasers. <laughs> yeah. What, what are you talking about, Dan? Yeah, I'd, uh, um, yeah. This, 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 this. Um, that's a, that's a great um, impression of Daniel Day Lewis playing you in a movie. Yeah, I know it's fantastic. I, I believe he'd have it dead on. Yeah, he'd just have it perfect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I I just find, and it's interesting to read interviews with Day Lewis because he gives them very rarely. But when he gives them, he seems he seems like a pretty cool, down to earth guy, hmm. uh, which doesn't really fit with the mul- with the sort of mythology that's cultivated around him. Yes. You know? uh, which is very strange because as you said you sort of you think of like there are other actors and when you say other actors like we're not talking about um, we're not talking about people like say Sylvester Stallone no uh, we're talking about people like Marlon Brando or like Jack Nicholson or um, or even sort of Al Pacino or Dustin Hoffman and you still you look at Daniel Day-Lewis and you go okay he does what they do except to a much higher transcendental sort of level mm. the point where it is it is almost mythologized yes yeah, yeah, for yeah, and and um, I don't know. To 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 some extent, you kind of feel like the way Daniel Day Lewis does it. There, there, it it does kind of um, 
open itself to mythologization. Yeah. Or, or, or to certainly thinking, yeah, that's he's the actor. Yeah, he is like, like the just, definite article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you were to pick somebody to embody the spirit of, yeah, where, where, well, it's it's a kind of a strange way to look at it because ultimately these are just kind of people doing a job. Yeah. Um, like, like, like anyone. Well, you know that great, and it's it's an apocryphal story, but it's the story about Peter O'Toole and was it Peter O'Toole and Dustin Hoffman? No, um, doing no, uh, Marathon Man. Lawrence Olivier. Lawrence Olivier. Apologies. Doing Marathon Man. Have you, uh, you know this? Actor? You know yes. this story? Yes. Um, which Dustin Hoffman disputes. Dustin Hoffman thinks that is not a cool story for Lawrence Olivier to be telling. Um, because according to Lawrence Olivier's version of events, Dustin Hoffman was showing up like tired and haggard and defeated and paranoid and on the verge of a mental breakdown because he was so getting into this character. And Lawrence Olivier was like, have you tried acting, dear boy? To which Dustin Hoffman was like, this was not cool at all because I was going through the middle of a painful divorce. Like yes. I, I, <laughs> I wasn't actually trying to get into character. I was tired and haggard and paranoid and on the verge of a nervous breakdown because my life was hell. And Lawrence Olivier decided to make some smart ass quipped about it. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the, um, uh, ba, 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 Dustin the Hoffman's. Um, <laughs> Don't hassle the Hoffman, eh? Dustin the Hoffman's um, uh, interview on Inside the Actors Studio. Yeah, he 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 talks about that, and he yeah. says like, "Oh, um, uh, myself, myself, and and Lawrence were great friends on the set," and then he starts crying. Because um, Lawrence is passed away, um, Dustin Hoffman is a really emotional guy. Have, have, uh, have you ever I seen, seen that no. interview? No, um, I haven't actually. I'm Dustin Hoffman, you are a delight. And I imagine that's Daniel Day Lewis playing you, playing the host of Inside the Actors Studio. Yes, with himself. <laughs> All right, so we like this film. We recommend this film. We do. Will we move on to the next section of the podcast? We shall indeed. It's the in and out chart. Yes, it's not what you think. It's not. All right, then let's see what's in and what's out of the of the IMDb top two hundred and fifty this week. So we have. Three movies in, and coincidentally, three movies out. You'd almost swear that the lists were destined to be comprised of a set number of entries, Andrew. It would seem that way. But we'll, we'll, we'll need to get a couple more weeks to get a grip of how this actually works. Numbers. Yeah. Um, the fairly, fairly um, high uh, rating, or ranking, uh, seeing as it's just come in, is Kind Hearts and Coronets, which isn't a new movie. No, not at all. It's, it's released in 1949. It's the classic Ealing Studios comedy um, in which I believe Alec Guinness plays absolutely everybody. Um, it's the story about the family tree where they have to... Uh, basically, where somebody's trying to murder their way to a fortune. Um, and you can see there... Andrew's drawn up the chart here, so we can sort of see that it's, it's been around the IMDb um, for a little while now. It doesn't date back to the original list in January 1990... Or sorry, in April 1996... It first came to the charts. Strange one, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very strange list. So it first came to the chart in January two thousand and four. Right. And it came in low, and it sort of yes. stayed low, and it sort of bounced low for around the next yeah, two years. It, 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 jumped, it jumped up to like one hundred and twenty-five or so, and then it, it like sporadically just disappears from from oh, the yeah. chart. Yeah, it it was last sighted in the in the chart in January uh, two thousand. Sorry, January two thousand and twelve. 
Yeah. Which is a long Where, time ago. And it jumped quite a bit to get off the chart as well. Yeah. Like it, 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 it was something like, what, 200 and... Yeah, 212. 212. So it went from 212 to not on the chart. At and all. Now, 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 now it's on what? It's, it's on... 213. 213. Which is quite, quite remarkable and weirdly consistent. Yeah. It's a it very is. strange ordering of so, the list. Something's happening in the Matrix. It is. There's a glitch in the Matrix. Um, the other two entries... There is another way to put that. I'll <laughs> <laughs> well, just repeat what you like, said. No, uh, I was like, what is that reference to a movie? There we go, Darren. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> this is what I contribute to the podcast. I feel like I've helped a great deal. Uh, Lagan. Uh, Once Upon a Time in India. Do you know about this Which movie? I am in no way familiar with. Um, I'm guessing from the name of it, it's it's a Bollywood film possibly. It's also known as Land Tax. And yes, it is. Which sounds very compelling. Yeah. <laughs> Land Tax. 2001. Released in 2001. Take it from me. Yeah. Um, one of, one, of, one of the most interesting areas of taxation. Oh, trust me. As somebody who studied law in college, I can tell you land tax is, <laughs> is compelling, heavy stuff. I want to see what a, what a Bollywood epic about land tax looks like. Yeah, so it, it is Bollywood. Um, or at least it was uh, produced India. in India. Yeah. Uh, language Hindi. It's a Hindi movie. Um, yeah. It was 184. It, it, it... Ah, look at how long it is. It's three hours and 44 minutes. Oh, golly. So hey, let's see. Maybe we might end up with uh, three four with two four eight next. That may be a two part. That may be a two part podcast. Okay, so yeah, I'm actually looking forward to these kinds of movies where um, I would not. Neither of us have heard of them. Yeah, yeah, because, and uh, neither of us have seen them. How many Bollywood movies have you seen? I have seen say? none, actually. None. None. Have you oh, seen wow. any? Um. No, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I have to admit, I would I, love I, to. I, I was thinking, like, um, how have I not? That is a yeah. weird thing. It seems to me that there are people who watch Bollywood movies and there are people who watch no oh. Bollywood movies. And there's no sort of intersection of those two charts. This is one of the things. So I would be very interested in seeing them. Um, I run a, a movie review website. Yeah. Um, but there are never press screenings that are held for them here that I'm aware they, of. They, they do show in Cineworld. They yeah. do show in Cineworld. Cineworld is, is fantastic for that sort of... It also showed Pitbull, uh, which is a small uh, Polish film. That, which, that, yeah, I saw posters for that in an MMA gym that I went to <laughs> the other day. Yeah. Where, yeah, yeah, where, where it's, it's like a, a Polish mixed martial arts gym and they had all of these... Not just posters for um, cage fighting, but also posters for all Polish sorts films. of Polish things. Yes, um, and that also did very well at the at the Irish box office a couple of weeks ago as well. Yeah, um, well, they're sometimes showing the IFI and that sort of thing. Well, right? no, like I think Pitbull was showing in Cineworld as well. Oh, okay. and it's kind of interesting how these worlds seem to stand apart from one another. Like, I would be very interested in attending screenings of stuff like the Bollywood films or yeah. stuff like. Did they have a Polish season in the IFI last year? I think they did. Well, they, they'll yeah. probably have one. I suspect they have one a year. Yeah, much. Um, like so. a French season. Well, yeah, we 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 have we have a large uh, Polish, Polish community. community in Ireland. So but I mean, also, it's it's a rich cinematic sort of. Uh, Seems to be. All right, and then finally at two four eight, bouncing right back in after yeah. it bounced right back out last week was. The man, the man who shot, shot Liberty Valance. And I remember you being disappointed that we didn't do any John Wayne or Jimmy Stewart impressions. I would say relieved. That would be the adjective that I would choose. Oh, I don't know. Got me a pilgrim. <laughs> yeah, that's a terrible John <laughs> Wayne impression. I, th- I find the best way to do a John Wayne impression uh, yeah. is is 
is to, oh no wait, it's the other way around. When I tried to do a John Wayne impression, it sounded like that guy from, um, uh, what's it called? It's not how I met your mother. It's, is it 50 rules for dating my daughter? No, it's not that. Oh, either. you mean, oh wait, Ray Romano, it's, are we talking about? No, no, it's that guy with, um. John Ritter? No, 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 no. He, he played the tick. Oh, oh, uh, Patrick Warburton. Patrick Warburton. Who we love. We love you, Patrick. Yeah. If you want to be on the podcast, just... If you're listening, Patrick Warburton. No. That, <laughs> now that sounds like John Wayne a little bit more. It does. The, see, this Pat- is a segment where we fail. <laughs> Horribly. <laughs> um, only one segment where we fail. Uh, but yes, Patrick. This is one of the segments, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Patrick, John Wayne wants you to be on the podcast. Please come join us. And then dropping out... Uh, much less exciting. which dropped in. Which popped in last week. There's also uh, La Legenda del Pianista Sull'Oceano, which is a 1998 film. Um, it is a Italian film directed by Giuseppe Tornatore. Um, yeah. it's, it's also known as The Legend of 1900? 1900 or 1900? Yeah. yeah, I guess it's The Legend of 1900. That does make sense. Yeah. 1998 film. It's been in and out the list basically in 2016 so it seems to have had a bit of a resurgence lately which is fascinating given that it's currently like you know it's it's these are the kind of movies as well that i'd like to see um yeah and, <laughs> i mean depending on whether it's any good or not but presumably it being in the 250 it would be fairly good well this How... is the guy who directed uh cinema paradiso oh yeah which makes it even more interesting I see. Uh, starring tim roth as well yes i um have you seen that movie, The Sun's Room? No. It's, um, ah, bah, 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 bah. I believe his, oh, hold on, wait. Is this the time where we need to consult the fact machine? I'm going to say his name is Moretti. I'm going to say his name is Nana Moretti. Any, 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 anyone who says his name is not Nana Moretti. The fact machine is gathering dust at the moment. The fact machine is gathering dust. We we wasted it when we went back to get the pronunciation movie. of jail. A very good movie. Actually, I wonder, is there any way of finding out whether Nana Moreshi's The Sun's Room is on the 250? It won the Palme d'Or that year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Some, somebody really likes The Sun's Room. Okay. To the fact machine! And we can confirm that The Sun's Room is not in the IMDb 250 at the moment. No. And in fact, robbed. it looks like it, it is unlikely to pop in. But we'll and, keep an eye out for it. Was it Nana Moretti? Was that <laughs> why we went on the fact machine? Okay. Fine. <laughs> to it the is, fact machine. We, okay, the fact machine has come back very quickly. It is Nana Moretti. Uh, <laughs> the fact machine is, is almost prescient at this stage. Yeah, it's starting to creak. It really is. Um, uh, under the burden. And another um, dropout, which is a surprising dropout. Yeah, this um, this is La Dolce Vita. Yeah, which is an amazing film, uh, Fellini's film, which again has been sort of up and down. It started okay, it didn't start very high, but it started relatively high at two hundred twenty-seven in January nineteen ninety-nine. Yeah, yeah, and then been sort of up and down over the uh, over the intervening period. Yeah. What? What? What affects that? It, like, uh, yeah. How does an old movie suddenly get so, like you can understand why it would hover around, say, two fifty and sort of in and out and in and out? Yeah, it's strange what, what to see it jump it back up, back up by twenty places or back down by twenty places. Yeah. Like, what is the moment in history? Is it like everybody went to see Nine and they realized that actually Federico Fellini is a pretty good director and he should probably leave his work alone? 
Mm. You know, it's, like, it's, are, are, are people just now getting around to seeing episode four of um, Star Wars? After <laughs> having been introduced to Star Wars by episode seven and saying, like, I better see the other movies. Yeah, and I should rank struggle, them really highly. Struggle through and I uh, episodes one to three. Yeah. Are now watching episode four in late May. And have seen Alec Guinness and decided, I kind should see what other Cornets. movies yeah. he's in. Kind Hearts and Coronets looks fantastic. Yes. Uh, it is actually fantastic. We all heartily recommend it. All yeah, right. I, I mean, Alec Guinness, I'm sold. Uh, I, 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 it's a shame that we don't do television on this because I... I Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy yes. is amazing. Although, here's the thing. I'm going to controversially say that the recent adaptation um, starring um, Gary Oldman, I actually preferred it to the BBC series. Which is sacrilegious. Mm, somewhat. Um, I, I feel like, is there any need? For the film version? No, no, no. Is there any need? I, I think this is one of those cases where uh, both uh, are good choices. Are, are good choices. And where I wouldn't say that one is better than the other. I'll, I'll, I'll fight you on this. <laughs> yes, whoever whoever wins, we win. Basically, <laughs> is the solution when you pick an adaptation. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. So I think this is the point at which we are going to pick the movie that we will watch next week. It's the random number generator. Soundtrack pending from Kenny Loggins. <laughs> Andrew is going to press the button, and we have come back with. Oh, another disappointingly <laughs> low uh, number. It's, it's number two. Number two hundred and twenty-three. <laughs> So let's take a look and see what number 223 is on the IMDb Top 250 Movies of All Time. Andrew, if you wouldn't mind a drum roll, please, while we stall desperately for time. I knew exactly (laughs) what you wanted before you said it. It was 220... need to learn how to drum roll. It really does. 223! (laughs) You're not going to believe this. Andrew, would you read number 223, please? 223 is the aforementioned Jaws. Which we were Fa- talk- Fans of the podcast, if you exist, well done, by the way, uh, will remember us talking specifically about Jaws last, w- week. last week and why it was it so low on the, on the um, IMDb list. Well, it means that this week we're going to get a chance, next week we're going to get a chance to talk about it. Speaking of which, uh, this is... Perhaps the the segment of our podcast where we talk about um, in the name of the Father and it's place. Oh, hold on, wait a second. Are we playing the trailer? <laughs> we're playing the trailer, right? No, 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 no. no, no. We were going to play the trailer, but you know what? We should probably. You're right. We skipped the segment where we talked about we did skip the how in the name of the if, Father. If, if if the section where we play the trailer is your favorite part, of, we of, apologize. Of the podcast. Yeah, we apologize. just hold on for one second. We'll be right we're going this. to rank in the name of the Father, which Ooh. is 186. So let's take a look. I, uh, I know you'll still be patient, though. I can see. I can see that we're on two hours. Yeah, you've committed to it at this point. <laughs> yeah, everyone's just waiting for the trailer. Yeah, it's the best part of the podcast. So, Andrew. Okay, first thing we're going to ask is we're going to look at where it is, which is it's currently below Shutter Island and above Persona. Yes. Do you think that's appropriate? It's above Twelve Years a Slave. It's below Stand by Me. Tell me about Persona. It's a 1966 movie. It is, I believe. It is a. Is it Roman Polanski? I think. If I'm, if it's the right, if it's the film that I think it is. Ooh. No, um, it's not. It's Ingar Berman. Apologies, I get my auteurs mixed up. A nurse is put in charge of an actress who can't talk and finds the actress's persona is melding with hers. 
So it's sort of like a tense sort of uh, psychological sort of yeah. drama happening. It seems, there. it seems like perhaps a movie that will be that we'll be seeing sometime soon, perhaps. Based <laughs> solely on the fact that all of our numbers have been below one hundred and eighty six so far. Yeah, and and also based on the fact that like we don't really have very much um well, I feel like Jaws is a movie that we can probably laugh a lot with and at. Yes, I feel like... Probably only sharks. Yeah, will be offended by <laughs> yeah. the fact that we make light of... Uh, yeah, whereas is Jaws 12 a... Years a Slave. Yeah, is Might Jaws be... a sharks as Nazi film, Andrew? That is the question that we need to ask. That is the question. Which right. kind of Nazis? Yeah, are shark... Nazis? Yeah. Shark Nazis. Um, and below Shutter Island, uh, below Stand By Me, below The 400 Blows, uh, below Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, below Network. So I think, I think that's, yeah, that's a fairly good list above it. I think, you know, I wouldn't I put so. it ahead of many of those. Like, like yeah. I, Shutter I, Island, maybe. Shutter Island is the only one I sort of question. Yeah, I think that's uh, perhaps because it's a recent movie. The Modernity Bites again. I, 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 I still, um, like, Shutter Island was... was uh, fairly good at the same time. I have a friend of mine who who has um, real issues um, understanding Shutter Island. Okay. When where, um, I remember uh, numerous occasions being out of the pub, um, and he, he'd say, "I I, st- I still don't get it." It's <laughs> like a weird movie to come back to. You know, it's it's like uh, I have to say, I've been thinking about Shutter I, Island a lot this week. It was kind of it was it was. Kind of at a point where I thought, okay, this is a joke. <laughs> this is a recurring gag. Yeah, point. yeah. This, this this is a funny bit. Um, I like. I actually really like Shutter Island, and when we get to it, I'll tell you why. I think it's an underrated entry in the Scorsese canon, uh, and I think it's probably because it might be his Holocaust film. But we'll come back to that when we talk about the film in this, question. This movie is above the likes of Twelve Years a Slave, Twelve Years a Slave, Million Dollar Baby. The Grand Budapest Hotel. The Princess Bride. I know a lot of people like that. Well, yeah. The Touch of Evil as well. The Orson Welles movie with Charlton Heston as a Mexican. Oh. And it works despite that, which is astounding. <laughs> uh, that's quite a hurdle for a movie to pass. And I think it earns it. I would actually say In the Name of the Father might be rightly placed almost yeah, in that context. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it does seem to be. Um, and then we're going to compare does, it to... And does it deserve to be on the IMDb 250? Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just so hurt about Madame um, Moretti's The Sun's Room. Yeah. <laughs> you would, you would swap it for The Sun's Room in an instant. Um, yeah. And also, how does it rank against the movie we saw last week, Prisoners? Oh, definitely better. Definitely better. There's yeah. no ambiguity there. Despite the notable lapses, like, if Jake Gyllenhaal had been solving this case. Mm. Actually, there's... Although, although, something I liked about um, the... Bah, 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 I liked um, that there... There wasn't in the um, prisoners movie because because it's a contemporary movie. There wasn't a whole lot of um, kind of music put in there. To oh, to establish, re- remind you of what <laughs> day, which 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 works actually quite well in the name of the father because yeah. it is one of those movies. It's not like. Um, yeah, it's, it's very it's, anchored in its time. Yeah, place. and and it's a bit of a crowd pleaser in the sense that they do those sort of things that just kind of you know. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's got it's got great you know, pop music. It's got police brutality. It's got <laughs> terrorism. Yes, so it's yeah, a natural yeah. crowd freezer. <laughs> um, so we're both agreed that it's better than prisoners. So in that case, what we're going to do it's then so. is we're going to jump. Sorry to the prisoners people. will always be the movie we did first. Yeah, have a special place in our heart. Yes, um, and Detective Loki as well. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, forgot to mention last week. It appeared 
that Detective Loki was just eating in the cafe that was across the road from where the camper van. I'm not was sure found. that was the. I'm not sure it was, but it certainly seemed like that. <laughs> the and way that, that it was shot. And yeah, that would be in keeping with, with his knack of just well, kind of. How was it you described him? Detective Lucky. Yeah. Hi <laughs> oh. And on that note, we're going to see gently into the trailer for Jaws. Gee, I wonder what Jaws is. Andrew, have you heard of this? It's a little indie movie made by a small director named Steven Spielberg. Um, <laughs> there is a creature alive today has survived millions of years of evolution without change without passion and without logic it lives to kill a mindless eating machine it will attack and devour anything it is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws this is universal's extraordinary motion picture version of peter benchley's best-selling novel jaws i just found out that a girl got killed here last week and you knew it you knew there was a shark out there. You knew it was dangerous. But you let people go swimming anyway. Did you see that? It's all psychological. You yell Barracuda. Huh? What? You yelled shark. We've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. Is it true that most people get attacked by sharks in three feet of water, about 10 feet from the beach? Yeah. What we are dealing with here is a perfect engine, uh, an eating machine. We're not only going to have to close the beach, we're going to have to hire somebody to kill the shark. Bad fish. But I'll catch him and kill him. Did you hear your father out of the water now? This shark? Swallow you whole. You're going to need a bigger boat. That's a 20 footer. 25. Three tons of them. Hurry up, he's coming straight for us. Don't screw it up now. Don't wait for me. Now! Shoot! fantasies of evil and compare with the reality of Jaws. Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfus, Jaws. See it before you go swimming.
So I don't I don't think they oversell it or anything like that. That is a long ass trailer. It is. Was, was that the original theatrical trailer for? I believe it might have been. I love the way it started. Yeah, it's, it's like sharks or dicks. Yeah, they really it's like they were designed by like God the as the devil, devil. It itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like the trailer maybe oversells the evil of sharks somewhat. <laughs> Um, but what I found was interesting. It's and like the, it's the one animal that, <laughs> that evolved without compassion. Yeah. It's cold, dead eyes staring at you. Yeah, they will attack without they mercy at any time. Yeah, it they doesn't will, matter whether you're in the shower. Had a chance, it would kill you and everyone you love. Yeah. Um, but what I found was interesting because we were talking about this with the with the trailer for Prisoners, was the sense that it you know it's like this is the entire movie in two minutes to yeah. the point where. And it's weird to see that in a trailer that I, was originally I, cut in 1973. Yeah, yeah, because I, I was kind of expecting that the trailer was going to end there. Yeah. At, the, at the point where it said, where where it had the kind of... The uh, opening scene, the girl with, being attacked. With the voiceover and the girl getting attacked, I feel like it could have said then, Jaws. Yeah. Yeah, at the, point, at the point where he said Jaws, it was so like, like, oh, just put God, the name whoa. on the screen. Yeah, yeah the, the, like I, I, like a, per, a person would me. have been like, oh, yeah, that, that, I feel that like looks that. scary and like thrilling and that. I yeah. want to see this movie. And, and then the film's like, like we got to keep selling it. The trailer's like, you know, we got to keep selling like, it. Like, how, how, how big a star was uh, Roy, Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfus? Wasn't, wasn't Robert Shaw the biggest in the bunch, I thought? Perhaps, yeah, yeah. This like, like, was that the reason why they extend the, the... The trailer so much to the point where you spend so much time with Robert Shaw? To, yeah, to, 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 um, to get uh, all of those <laughs> Robert Shaw fans. Yeah, you know, maybe cinema. on the fence And also otherwise. for exposure, because yeah. Robert Shaw is like, oh, I've got these loads of fans, but like, you can always have more of the fans. Robert Shaw, famously avaricious when it comes to his <laughs> fan base. Yeah, you can always have more. Yeah, but I mean, if, like, if you're listening, Robert Shaw, come in and defend yourself. Unless you're dead, yes. In, in which case, is a state, I guess. Yeah, and, and nominate um, somebody to come on the podcast. Exactly. And talk yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, his attitude towards his fans. But the trailer, yeah, the trailer, and it isn't even like the trailer spoils the entire plot of the film, which it does. The trailer goes into weirdly specific detail at certain points of the film. Like, there's a point at the climax where Richard Dreyfuss's legs get trapped by a bit of rope. Yes. And the movie pretty, and the trailer pretty much takes that that like five second bit and just plays it exactly as it appears. Or there's a bit where they're in the pool going to be attacked, and there's that great uh, Spielberg shot where it keeps getting closer and closer on Roy Schneider. And the trailer's just like, here, this is what you're going to see in the film. Um, yeah. It's not like it's not tightly edited or anything like that, but it's again Hollywood. Listen up. Yeah, and we've got some great ideas. Yeah. But anyway, so we'll probably leave it there. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Let you know what we thought of Jaws. Uh, I'm sure none of us have any opinions about it right now. <laughs> Completely new, small art house film, low budget, um, universal picture. All right, we'll talk to you next week. I'm Darren. And I am out of here. I'm Andrew. Thank you very much. Bye.